flying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. Wish I had a million dollars. Wish I had a million albums. Wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. Hello, cats and kittens. It's me, your host, Brianna Dre Gray, back for another episode of The Debrief. This week, we are revisiting the topic about electoralism, but just in case people are tired of having that conversation, I doubt you are, because there seems to be quite an appetite for talking about what to do next and whether we should believe these candidates in this group. But just in case, I have some other topics for us queued up in case you're interested. At the end of Thursday's debrief, we got into a rip-roaring conversation about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. If you guys want to continue that, we can. Uh, also, uh, an interesting story in media, David Weigel, who covers uh, progressive issues at the Washington Post. I know that uh, many folks, myself included, have been critical of his takes at times, but he is also one of the few that covers the left at all at a mainstream institution. Whatever you think about that, he has been suspended for a month from the Washington Post for retweeting a tweet uh, that you know, it's being characterized as sexist. I mean, it is sexist, but how much, how sexist in the grand scheme of jokes is a question that we can talk about and whether this punishment fits the crime. He's also been really targeted even after his apology and taken down, uh, taking down the tweets by other people at his organization. So we can go through some of the details of that and discuss if you'd like. Um, but first, but first, let's get on the board the topic of this week's bad faith. I spoke to Michaela Wilkes, who is running in Maryland's fifth district for the house against Stinny Hoyer. And, you know, I asked her the questions that I ask these candidates. I personally thought that her answers were probably the best that we've heard so far, but I'm interested to hear from you a lot, whether they are good enough for you. Here is a clip and then let's get right into it. Oops. I'm willing to say I, Corey, but you know, you know, like, you know, Corey Bush didn't do, I'm a Kayla Wilkes and willing to, Go ahead and buck the party leadership and endorse Nina Turner. Are you willing to go ahead and not vote for additional funding to the Iron Dome? Are you willing to say, I will not vote for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker of the House? Absolutely. Unequivocally, without a doubt, I absolutely would. And that's actually, you know, I was speaking with um, with someone the other day and we were kind of talking about how, you know, a lot of, the, you know, some of the progressives in office tend to support, you know, Democratic primary challengers kind of in safe races, so to say. Mm 
um, you know, like Jessica Cisneros, you know, she got so many endorsements, you know, from a lot of um, people that, you know, a lot of us look up to. Um, but, you know, because of, you know, Henry Cuellard and being against um, abortion access, abortion rights, because that is kind of like the safe controversial topic where mm -hmm. something like Medicare for all, a Green New Deal, canceling student debt, it's all controversial. There is no mm -hmm. safe controversial issue to challenge. And so that is where I would see myself being differentiated because I think that we should be uplifting every single Democratic primary challenger that is running against someone who is a, a an incumbent, whether they are a Republican or a Democrat, whether they are running against someone who is um, who supports, you know, a controversial issue, a controversial policy when they are all controversial, like this is what we're up against. Yeah. You know, and we can't be afraid to call out Democratic leadership, you know, because when we're running for office, we're calling them out by name. But then once we're elected, we're only referring to them as Democratic leadership. Who? Who are you talking about? Name them. Yeah. All right. Bells, you're up first. What did you think about this episode or anything else that's on your mind? Hey, Brie. How do I Hey, Bells. You're a little on the quiet side. I don't know what the issue is. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I can just, hear I'll you. People in the chat, time. if you can't, yeah, let us know. Um, so I was not, like, thrilled with Michaela Wilkes. Um, okay. I, like, I think... If I was in her district, I'd probably vote for her, sure. But I don't think I'm, I'd be like investing any resources into her race, mm -hmm. uh, mostly because, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's that like leadership thing I was talking about um, a couple call-ins ago. Like, I, I got the sense from her from all of her answers. It's like, mm -hmm. like it's I I'm going to do these things, not like. Like she, like she's t almost like taking credit for like work that she would do, as a, like because when I think about like Kashama Sawant, like I don't mm -hmm. the way she does things. It's not that Kashama has a position; it's that socialist alternative has a position, and that she is like the vessel through it, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't, I don't mm -hmm. see that same. Um, like energy from her it, it's very much like I'm going in to like be some leader to be some sort of like um, you know I'm gonna be the martyr that stands up to Nancy Pelosi like I'm not I'm not interested in that at all in a politician anymore it's not I don't think it's healthy for like as in the system and I don't think it's healthy for the person that like puts themselves through it and I don't like, I care about you, Michaela. I don't want you to be a martyr. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what would know. you have liked her to have said? Because she's not, as far as I know, a member of Socialist Alternative, apart from, you know, actually being <laughs> Shama Sawan. I do, I do have concerns that sometimes I think folks in this chat, and I guess it's my fault, put Shama a little bit on a pedestal that's not entirely healthy. So I just want to make sure that that's not what we're doing by articulating what actions specifically short of literally being Shama uh, and having an organization like Socialist Alternative um, in DC where, you know, there's not even a chapter. I, I'm part of the New York chapter. 
Um, what, what does, what does that look like? What would you have liked to have heard from her? Um, I mean, I think part of the problem is that there aren't like groups that you can sort of associate yourself with. I mean, if she like joined socialist alternative and was like, um, I mean, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'd be down with that. But I mean, it doesn't even have to be socialist alternative. If she was just some part of some, like very transparently part of some collective of people, whether it be like maybe a local thing in her district or something. Because like, if I go to a politician's website, um, I'm going to see like, this is what my position, like my positions are not, this is what the people's positions are on whatever subject that affects that district. Right. So um, I don't know, like I want her to be a part of a group of people that will like hold her accountable in some way. Um, like, like this past weekend at our like local SA meeting, mm -hmm. uh, we had like a whole dis discussion about democratic centralism, which is just like an academic -y term for like, sort of like spreading the power throughout the people and and how that's like a system of um like distributing power or whatever mm -hmm. um and i i had this thought that like within the democratic party you could have two different individuals like leading the party i.e biden or bernie and you would have like wildly different outcomes based on like the person the the um yeah like it's it's based on the people like the the person in the office whereas like if i i'm pretty i i have faith that if it was kashama sawant in that um um city council position or if it was a different member of her chapter like i'm pretty sure they would have similar like views and outcomes you know what i mean like i you could interchange these people in sa at least um, and, and you would have like a, you, you would still have this like focused goal. Whereas, you know, when you, when you, when we focus on the, the person, it doesn't, you know, you, you, you lend yourself to like moments of weakness and ego and like all of our, like just personal flaws, you know, cause we're not perfect. Um, I think you let too much of that sort of seep into like your decision-making and whatnot. Sure. I just am not. Sh I mean, I was asking her questions about what she would do in Congress. And so I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying. I just am not sure it's fair to characterize based on this interview, her as someone who is kind of uniquely or in particular self-centered or individualistic about her approach. I'm seeing in the chat that Afini is in here, who, of course, is on uh, Michaela's staff. And it looks like she had a bit of a response to that. Afini, did you want to come up? Let me see. Are you in chat? Yes, you're in the chat. I will bring you up to speak. What do you, what do you yeah, say no, to, to what do you say to, to Bell? Is that a is that a fair critique or what what would your response be? I mean, first of all, I'm not going to be up here all day, um, the whole time because you know I don't want to take up so much space. But hey, Bree, um, hey. just really quickly, you know, uh, 
Michaela is a grassroots organizer and the founder of a grassroots organization. She doesn't talk about it enough, and it's kind of something that I yell at her about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not that she doesn't have a group of people that are willing to hold her accountable. Um, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm a part of her team. I'm going to continue to be a part of her probably inner circle. I don't know if I'm going to Congress with her or anything like that, but I'm going to continue to be in contact with her. She's going to continue to organize with organizations like mine and other grassroots organizations. It's kind of like the whole reasons why she's there. Um, And also through the organizing work that Michaela did and some other organizations did, Kenny Collins is a wrongly, a wrongly, wrongfully convicted man who's going to be released later on this year, partially due to the organizing work that Michaela did. So it's not that she's not an organizer. She's definitely not like, she's definitely not like Alex. She's definitely not like Ilhan who barely have any organizing experience behind them. Um, so to say that she's self-centered or that she's taking credit for policies that myself and the rest of our team have crafted, um, you know, yeah, no, that's just not the case <laughs> at all. <laughs> okay. So, so go ahead, Bells. I would, I would love to hear more about her grassroots organizing. Like, I think I agree with you. I do think I, I wish she would have talked about that more because like, I, like I'm, I'm just I'm not from that district. I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, like I'm just going off based on like what her answers were in this interview, right? So yeah, but that's also that's yeah. me asking a specific slate of questions. I didn't ask her, you know, tell me and tell me some details about the grassroots organizing that you've done. And it does feel a little bit. I'm not saying you know you're doing this intentionally or putting this all on you, Bells. You just happen to be the first caller. But it does feel a little bit like the goalposts are shifting because people kind of fundamentally aren't down with people running within the Democratic Party. And that's if that's how people feel. That's how people feel. But in previous interviews, the concern has been an unwillingness to articulate a willingness to be adversarial to the, to the Democratic Party establishment and to see Democratic establishment as fundamentally um, opposed to these people and that they're not going to be able to work congenially within it. And, you know, questions about what you would have done in a force the vote context, what you would have done if the CPC allied against you, what, you, whether or not you would take certain kind of votes with previous candidates have been some of the litmus tests that have caused folks to not be very excited about other candidates. I did feel as though, uh, Michaela answered those, the, the, the right way, you know, whatever that means. Um, for this crowd, and now it does feel a little bit like the new standard perhaps is, you know, literally being socialist alternative, which is a fine standard to have. I just want to be clear on what it is affirmatively short of that, if anything, would have made you feel differently about the about the candidate. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but I'm definitely not like, I don't really care if you're in the democratic democratic party or not. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, I want to hear like exactly what, like who you're accountable to, how that accountability works. Like if you're part of grassroots organizing, that's, that's sweet. Um, but like, I, I don't know. I, I, uh, like I said, she doesn't literally have to be a part of Socialist Alternative. Um, I'm just sort of on that kick because I joined and, like, I love it and I think they're great, whatever. But, like, you know, if she talked about, like, any sort of specific group um, that 
that has like a like a a solid like policy um like platform or whatever um you know i'd love to i'd love to hear about that sort of stuff but i just i don't i don't want to say like oh it's your fault Bree, you didn't ask me these questions like i don't want to i don't want to do that but like i just didn't get that from the interview you know what i mean and I, what i did get was a lot of like i'm gonna go in i'm gonna be a leader i'm gonna fight the democratic party which is great but like also i don't want you to be like a martyr and like go in there and try to like sacrifice yourself for the people because that's i don't like that either so i i don't know overall pretty positive i i liked her like her answers i just don't want her i i wasn't like particularly like inspired by it so like i would i would definitely vote for her if i was in her district but i wouldn't I probably wouldn't be like canvassing. I might donate a few bucks, but like I don't know. I wasn't. It wasn't like enthusiastic support feeling for me. Fair enough, Bells. Let's let's get some other people in the mix. Thank you for calling in. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, Cade. Yeah, I guess I actually felt sort of similar in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. I I felt like she had a lot of sort of strong individual answers. Right away, um, when when I only saw the YouTube clip, um, but when you asked that question at the start of the YouTube clip, I felt like, you know, gave the right answer, no hesitation. And then I liked that she sort of volunteered her stance um, against spending more money sending weapons off to Ukraine, because I feel like foreign policy questions lots of times do end up being sort of kind of predictive, you know, someone's courage on foreign policy lots mm-hmm. of times is one of the harder areas to be kind of courageous on. And so it ends up sort of predicting other things. Um, But I guess my hesitation is that if for really, really enthusiastically supporting someone is just, I need to see sort of a model for how it's all going to work going forward. And like, I, I felt like we used to have that when we first elected the squad, we sort of had a, a vision for what they were going to be, and then we were going to build on it and, and they've broke that over the last um, couple of years. So we don't have that anymore. What, what was that vision? I think it was a tea party of the left that Which was means going what to what exactly, but what, um, what I'm driving at is that my understanding was a vision that you could vote as a block to do things. Yes. And so, yeah. you know, that's, this is what I'm, I'm trying to understand because I asked Michaela, like, would you be willing to vote as a block and would you have to, you know, do the force of vote moment and the answer was yes. And I understand like, that, that that doesn't mean you're always going to win or anything like that. But I am just wanting to try to get specific about what, in addition to that, is the plan that you would hope from these kind of candidates. Well, I guess my problem with it that now is that there's no block left for her to vote with if she gets there. So even if I trust uh, Michaela Wilkes or Rebecca Parson or a couple other others, um, there's not necessarily a block left for them to vote with because I don't trust the squad at all anymore. Um, but I guess so then I'm, I'm looking for sort of a new vision and I guess one version of that might be like just a hyper kind of focused on organization, which I feel like actually like since she'd talked to us, Rebecca Parson with that, like ad has sort of uh, with that about homelessness is really sort of focused in on. And maybe, I guess, um, um, you know, maybe, maybe that could be a direction um, this could go too. So I guess I could see that as one option. The other thing that I still have some hope in, though maybe it's fading, um, is I 
I I guess I really want to see a sort of vote withholding model in 2024 um, where um, a presidential candidate um, runs in the Democratic Party but says, um, but runs maybe hand in glove with a third party candidate, maybe the Green Party, um, and says, you know, if my if either I'm not the nominee or my demands aren't met um, in terms of like specific executive orders that we want, um, I'm going to endorse the third party um, and I won't be voting for the Democratic nominee. So I guess I want. So she did. But, but that's not did. something she can really answer. Well, she did answer it, though, Kate, in the interview. I don't know if you listened to the whole interview, but I asked her how she oh. felt about vote withholding and black voters in particular not voting for Biden until certain concessions are met and demands are met. And she supported it. And then I asked her also about running outside of the Democratic Party. And she says that while there are some barriers to running, like strategic barriers that make it too much of an uphill battle, she solidly endorses the idea of running and winning as a Democrat and then pivoting to a third party uh, once in Congress. So what what do you make of those? Right. Answers? So that's kind of that's kind of the dirty break idea to uh-huh. to break. I guess what I. I guess I, I'm I would I would be very confident in her or anyone else who said if I lose the nomination, I'll be endorsing a third party candidate. And maybe maybe that's asking too much because maybe there's not a th- strong third party candidate in the race. But I would like to see a candidate in the future, I guess, who um, set something up like that where where they're helping build the third party at the same time as they're running their campaign. Maybe that's more of a national thing where I picture like a presidential candidate um, running, going state to date state um, along with a third party candidate, helping build up that third party um, so that there's really a credible threat. Um, Because I guess I feel like um, when you get to, when you get to a general election um, and people haven't sort of pre-committed um to to that sort of vote withholding and there's not a um you know people just fate to just decide to um you know vote the lesser of two evils because at least that has some influence and so you need people to be sort of like um both mad and um deciding early um that what they're that they're not going to you know that if um Michaela um, loses that they're not going to be voting for the Democrats. They're going to vote for the third party candidate. That's the only way you ever um, shift people. If, if, if they're making the decision at the time of the general election, it's kind of too late, but I guess I, that's really more strategy I have in mind for like a presidential race rather than a congressional race. But for Michaela, I'm looking at the ballotopedia. I see three candidates in the race. They all appear to be running as Democrats. You know, Michaela said that she supports vote withholding and also the dirty break strategy. So, again, it's not that I disagree with you. I'm just really confused as to what the specific criticism of Michaela is. What would you want Michaela, not your, your in a broader hypothetical national election? What would you like to see different from Michaela? Because, again, you guys, if your answer is I just am over electoralism, just say that and and that's fine. And then you'll just check check out of this kind of a thing. But if it's going to be a critique of Michaela, it should be a critique of something she said or did. That's that's the only thing I'm trying to push on right well, now. Right. I'm definitely not over electoral politics because I sort of do have that vague hope for the presidential election. But I guess I don't, other than someone who just really focuses in on 
organizing and says, here's because really I picture it being sort of a lame duck Congress for the next two years mm-hmm. um, with them almost certainly being in the minority in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't picture like legislative wins or leverage being exerted over Pelosi um, or any of that anymore, at least for two years. Um, and so I guess I, if you wanted me to be excited now, um, the easiest way is probably that sort of more organizing angle. Like, uh, you know, I guess maybe join, join with like a Rebecca Parson type, um, and say, we're going to, you know, we're going to, um, ask people to uh, go out and, um, occupy vacant houses or, um, it wouldn't have to be that, like, if that's too, like, um, militant, that, that'd be understandable, but just that there's going to be, like, clear calls to action. Um, I guess I would, I would like to see someone use a position in Congress like that if they got a hold of it. If you didn't want to um, get you back in here, what do you, what do you say to that? I mean, you know, like I said before, Michaela is an organizer. Um, one of her main things is that she doesn't want to just be an individual leader. She wants to, she wants to be surrounded by organizers, even on, even on her staff. She doesn't want regular congressional staffers like the, you know, run of the mill people. She wants people that are actually going to, legislate from an activist you know point of view and that are willing to take activist like actions to make these things happen um she knows what she's walking into she knows that she's probably not going to have very many friends on either side whether it's the progressive side or they're talking about you know the centrist democrats she's walking in with the target on her back so she has a very good understanding of the fact that she's going to have to turn to the people she's going to have to turn to her platform and she's been very clear about the fact that she is not a career politician she she does not really care whether or not she gets reelected but it's about using the platform to organize not only activists and organizers within like our local community but also organize constituents to effectuate change on the local level um so you know i understand everyone's critiques of her but like like brie was saying Michaela is one person, um, you know, and she is going to do everything in her power as an organizer and with somebody and as somebody with that platform to create change in the ways that she wants to see it. Um, And she does have to be a leader to do that. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong. And I could be biased because I do work for her. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with her saying that she's willing to be a leader, that she's willing to to make these hard decisions and that she's willing to lose her seat. And or leave the Democratic Party if it if she has to in order to send the message she wants to send, because that's the whole reason why she's running in the first place. Um, she's not running just to become AOC or any of them. She's running because she's been impacted by a lot of these policies that are fucked up and she wants genuine change. And she knows that the only way to do that is by actually talking to people that are like her. And you're not going to you're not going to get that result by talking in silos or surrounding yourself by people that aren't willing aren't willing to reach out to those communities. I guess what's a little confusing for me is that my understanding of Michaela is that she is one of the more radical people that I've known to run. Um, and I don't know, maybe you can corroborate this or not, Afini, but it seems to me like if she hasn't already suggested the kind of policies like Rebecca, Rebecca Parson talking about. 
you know, occupying uh, homes for unhoused people, that she would be extremely enthusiastic about that sort of thing. So if the interview didn't give that impression because they didn't ask her about those things, I just want to make it clear here, assuming that that feels accurate to you, Feeney, that that is my impression of her. Absolutely. That as far as as far as these kind of candidates get, as far as people running within the Democratic Party get, Michaela, in my observation, is the most radical. And I saw, you know, like I mentioned in the podcast, I saw her and a number of other candidates, including Nina Turner. I think it was four or five women on the stage. Um, was it Amani Oakley? And I forget who else was there at this event. And of the women on the stage, she was the most radical. And she had the most enthusiastic response from the people in the room. And, you know, that was my impression. So I'm just a little, you know, I'm just surprised uh, that the reaction seems to be almost more critical of her than certain other candidates yeah. that have been. Honored. Yeah. I guess I'm not trying to be more critical. I did. I did like her like during the interview. I liked most of the answers. It's just, I guess to, to really be enthusiastic, I just, I feel like a clear vision of what exactly she's going to be doing once. In, and maybe part of that's just situational and it's going to depend on what like the issues are when she gets in. But I, I felt like I didn't have a clear vision of like, what's going to be like the focus, um, you know, what, what, but maybe, maybe that's not uh, easy to deliver, but I, I guess that's one thing I did. I have really been drawn to about like that, like um, Parson ad was just the, at the very least, like I can imagine, okay, well, if she, you know, whatever else she may do um, when she gets into office, like that thing is definitely going to be a thing if she wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't see like maybe one thing like that, but maybe it's just, you know, that she would be aggressive and an activist on a bunch of different levels um but it just i guess maybe it's just not creating like the crystal clear like vision of what it would be in my head that sort of replaces and i know this is a lot to ask of like one candidate but that replaces like the vision that we did have of sort of the squad being kind of a leftist um you know tea party like i had i had a vision of how that was going to work and how that was going to build to like a better future um and that sort of collapsed um, but I'm trying to find something that will like replace that vision in the future. And I think if, if a candidate can deliver that, they're going to find, you know, sort of a deep well of enthusiasm from like, you know, people like the RBN folks. Um, if, you know, if they can deliver that sort of like vision and it's like a, maybe more activist organizing uh, vision, which it sounds like she has all the experience, um, she needs to do i just i didn't necessarily see exactly what it's going to be um, yeah well that's the other part that i'm a little confused about which is that you're saying that there is no block anymore because you can't trust the squad totally fair enough but i think the idea is if you do get new people who are beholden to a different stronger litmus test than the squad members because now we have the squad as a basis for comparison how things can go awry that they will create a new block. But of course, if they don't get elected, then that does not happen. And all there ever is, is the squad, you know? So I just, are we saying that you're just over block voting? You just don't believe that anybody who ever gets into Congress can hold the line, which is a legitimate position that a lot of people have taken that says that's why they're over electoralism. Everything that's is being said to me has the whiff of, I'm just over electoralism, which is fine. We've talked about that at nausea. That's a perfectly legitimate 
position, but you're saying that that is not what you're saying. So right. some of this feels a little inconsistent to me. That's all. So no, I, I'm, I'm not over black voting. I just don't think it's going to be sort of the focus of the next two or four years. Um, I mean, I think it was an incredible fluke that we ended up controlling the, uh, you know, the, the squad controlled the margin of the house. I mean, that was, um, you know, stars aligning kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'd have to have a, you know, I don't know. I don't know what size block you need. Maybe it's like six to 10 people that you trust again, um, and then have a really close house race that slants democratic. I don't know. Maybe that's a possibility four years from now. Um, but so I guess I just, in the meantime, I feel like that's almost too remote, um, to really like, you know, get a ton of excitement going in a campaign about, I mean, that's um, fine, but there, it will never happen. I mean, I don't want to sound like, I know how that sounds. I know everybody like is mad at a bunch of people who think you think that oversubscribe to electoralism, but to the extent that you do, it will never happen if these candidates don't get elected now. Do, right, and I'm not you know like I mean? trying I'm not like trying to stop her from getting elected. I and also like I I I think everything sounded good. Like I would I like 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 people before have said I would vote for her if she were in my district and actually I, I might know more about her local organizing and stuff too if I was in her district um and so maybe I would see sort of more of a kind of organizing um uh it kind of maybe I would see more of that like oh well organizing is just going to be bolstered because there's all these things that she's been involved in they're going to uh, get more attention um I mean, I think in a way we've actually been a little unfair to the squad at times. Like I know AOC has done a lot of organizing on like the city level, um, um, like turning out like relief supplies and doing like charitable stuff. Um, so like, I'm sure there is kind of a bolstering effect there and that maybe it'd be stronger if you had a stronger activist. Um, but I guess I, to get excited about it as someone like not from the district um, I think it'd be easiest if there's some like clear vision of some sort of national national organizing activity that's going to come as a result of like the the national profile that a congressperson does have. Um, so I guess I, I guess I'm not, I don't think that's abandoning electoralism so much as I is seeing at least that temporarily the main thing that they're going to be able to do when they get to Congress um, is just have a really bright public profile. Um, compared to anyone who wasn't in Congress um, and be able to use that. And I think the main thing they'll be able to use it for is like organizing, maybe putting a little public pressure on Biden. Um, But um, assuming they're in a minority in the house, probably not having any like tangible power the way the squad has had and squandered for um, the last four years. So I guess, I, I, I don't know. I like the answers. I'd probably vote for, um, if I were in the district, I might even, you know, I might know more and I might be even more eager. Um, but I guess just to be like excited about it as a national level thing, I didn't, I didn't get like the clear vision that I felt like actually I was starting to get, um, over time from like the Rebecca Parson campaign. Okay. Well, thanks for calling in Kate. Yeah. Sorry. Allie, you're up next. What's on your mind this evening? Allie? 
You're unmuted. Can you talk for us? Hear me now? Mm. Okay, I can hear you, Allie. What's on your mind this evening? Oh, okay, good. So I was wondering if you had heard, I'm in Buffalo, New York. I was wondering if you had heard about our congressman, Chris Jacobs, how he came out in favor of an actually automatic weapons ban and has now been kind of kicked out of the party and given up his race. And I wonder if that you think that like tells us anything about the squad and what is like keeping the squad in line rather than like a laser beam on someone's dog or something like that. So he's a Republican representative who's set to retire after backing the assault, uh, an assault weapons ban. Um, um, he's pretty young to retire. I think he's pretty new. I'm just reading the headline from oh, the AP. I see. Um, it says Republican Representative Chris Jacobs announced Friday that he will not run for another term in Congress amid backlash over his support for new gun control measures. Jacobs, who represents part of Western New York, including suburban Buffalo, told reporters he has decided to retire instead of facing what he said would be a, quote, incredibly divisive election. His announcement came just days after Jacobs broke with his party and voiced support for a federal assault weapons ban. Quote, the last thing we need is an incredibly negative, half-truth-filled media attack funded by millions of dollars of special interest money coming into our community around this issue of guns and gun violence and gun control, he said, according to footage of his announcement. Last week, as the nation mourned deadly shootings at a Texas elementary school and a Buffalo supermarket, Jacob said he would vote for a federal assault weapons ban and other measures if he had a chance. His comments sparked furious backlash among conservatives who have refused to consider new gun control legislation to curb the violence. I mean, it's interesting. Who knows? I mean, to be honest, sometimes these things, people take a hard position, right, because they already have plans to leave. That's the thing that happens Mm -hmm. at times because there's some other controversy that we don't know about yet or some personal choice that we don't know about yet. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know what to take from this. It's obviously the right position to take. And if he feels like he can't win in New York with that position, well, then I think he should stay and fight it out and see if he can actually win. But the idea of preemptively stepping down because what some Republicans were like mad at you, you knew you should have known that that was the reality of the situation before you said what you said. So no, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what I can take from this. What do you take from it? I, he, he also came out and said that this is how the parties work, that they're both so controlled that the individuals don't have any say in anything. So I, I was wondering if it was a planned exit, but I also have to wonder if it isn't like, you know, just a sign that they are basically totally controlled by the party and that it's just not more than that. Um, and maybe he used that to his advantage in this, but. I thought it was interesting to see from a Republican perspective. Mm. I mean, there are certain, there are, there are so many Republicans who have taken positions that the Republican party does not support to the right and not suffered any consequences for them. There have been people that Trump has endorsed and have won people Trump Mm -hmm. has endorsed and have lost. It's all over the place. Um, It doesn't seem to be, you know, the direct, um, call and response the way there is in the Democratic Party. And certainly the Democratic Party being to the left of the establishment doesn't get you a free pass. Mm-hmm. It's quite the opposite. There are establishment Democrats supporting Henry Cuellar, obviously, as we've discussed. So, you know, again, yeah. I'm really reluctant to like yeah. take much of the, I, I don't, I just don't know, especially since I got to say, I'm a little suspicious of people, <laughs> you know, there have been a bunch of Democrats yeah. who've like, 
done terrible things. Like the whole people, people say that Kirsten Cinema has no plans to run again. And that's why she's being such a pill. You know, like, mm. I don't know what to, to make of that mm. other than people sometimes make decisions about what they want to do in the longer term and then therefore act out of character right before they go out the gate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the, I don't even, I'm not even entirely convinced of what the cause and response, uh, cause and effect here is at least, you know, in these, these first few days. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it. And I think yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I enjoyed the, uh, the interview today. I thought she was good. I, I don't know what else she could have said. So I think like you have to take, like, I think strategically it's good to like take opportunities as they're presented and, you know, nobody's perfect. And if I live near her, I'd be, I'd be working with her, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to help. And, you know, I think it's still moving the needle in the right direction, but thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Thanks for calling in. Okay. Thanks. All right. Andy, you're up next. What's on your mind this evening? Hear me? I can. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I just want to say off the bat, this was a good episode. I felt like she answered well. Um, what was I going to say? Prompt me. <laughs> was it about today's episode? Was it about the Weigel stuff? Was it about... The herd stuff was it about the new ongoing revelations about just how messed up the police were in Uvalde? Mm-hmm. Was it about what's going on with men and the manosphere stuff from last week? You know, it was about know. Uh, this episode and last uh, and and uh, last Thursday's episode. Yeah, I was just thinking how people like how uh, new uh, candidates can like show that they're so like trustworthy and how like people mm-hmm. can have faith in. Uh, electoralism and my suggestions were going to be about how i don't know just having it more like code words i guess because if there are threats from the senate like nancy nancy pelosi then i don't know it could just be very enlightening to have sort of that internal code i guess uh, about like what type of threat they are in case you're not allowed to talk about them or mm. yeah well, well i don't know i just i wish someone would i mean look Again, if there's literally a laser beam on somebody's head. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But like, it just doesn't feel like anything short right. of that. Someone has to blow the whistle. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Someone and, has to blow the whistle. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with having just trying to see if more uh, progressive um, Congress people worked. You know, I don't think it's, you know, too uh, early. I think it's too early to tell for sure. And I think maybe just having more people to adding more people to the squad could have, um, a beneficial um, aspect to it. You, I'm sorry, you do think it could have beneficial aspects yes, to it? Yes, I think, yeah, I think having more people could help. Yeah, look, I, I think so too. I mean, it, it doesn't not help. <laughs> no, right. I, I completely uh, understand people who are like, I'd rather spend my money elsewhere, you know, as you've discussed, that's also legitimate. Mm-hmm. But it, if, I, I don't think that every single person is necessarily going to disappoint the way the worst member of the squad has disappointed. There's, there's diversity within the squad in terms of how much they've been a disappointment. I think that many people observe Ilhan Omar to be the strongest on foreign policy and to have taken some hits that the others haven't necessarily taken. Maybe you're shooting to leave as well. You know, people have right. perceived perhaps Jamal Bowman and people like Mondaire Jones to be 
maybe weaker than some others. And certainly people like Pramila Jayapal are not considered to even be really allies at all anymore. And so given that there's a range of people who exist, it does seem logical to me that having people even to the left of everyone who's there will help anchor the the bias more in the leftward direction than the rightward direction. And also people who are willing to call out. I mean, Michaela was the first and only person who was willing to say outright, I won't vote for Nancy Pelosi. You know, I support pivoting to a third party. You know, she's like, I won't vote for Nancy Pelosi under any circumstances, regardless of force the vote. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement from someone running for Congress, that's, yeah. especially when you have all of these conservatives, uh, you know, Bakari Sellers and, and Democrat, conservative Democrats actively fundraising to defeat squad members. You know, I sometimes wonder if we can. Yeah. He's actively running. He's actively raising money to get Rashida to leave out of office under the pretense that Detroit deserves black leadership. Like that's, that's the world we're in. So I got, I do feel like I, Michaela deserves some points for taking those kinds of positions. Yeah. I sometimes wonder though, if like we ask for too much and sometimes we should maybe at least for individuals, they should have like run like, okay, these are like my mandatory, like no Nancy Pelosi, but I am willing to negotiate stuff about the Iron Dome or just like stuff more like that would be beneficial in the long run for helping uh, people make change in Congress. Yeah. I mean, those kind of pledges, there used to be a day where all these candidates used to take like no corporate hack money pledges. And Beto O'Rourke got reamed by David Sirota back in the day because Mm -hmm. he, you know, reneged on his no fossil fuel pledge. David Sirota wrote about it. And then the media establishment came down on David Sirota for quote unquote smearing Beto. He's like, I didn't tell Beto to renege on his promise. (laughs) But that was that that was back in, you know, late 2019 when they all thought Beto O'Rourke, they were trying to push Beto O'Rourke as the younger Bernie Sanders that undermines the need for a Bernie Sanders. So we all know what that was about. But thank you for calling in. Well, I just wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to quickly say about like the Manosphere episode that I really appreciated it and I felt it I felt like talks like that are kind of, uh, I think, what the left needs in some respect, just to like, I think it's an untouched issue that I think we could learn a lot from more of. And I felt it was good. I felt like it talked to my experience about how like I was kind of an angry kid Mm -hmm. in high school. I wasn't, you know, on that level, but I definitely felt like some of the feelings and, you know, uh, you know, leftist uh, video essays helped me express like come to terms with those feelings and like work through them. And I feel like a lot of these kids don't get that. And that's why they act out. But which um, video yeah, essays did you listen to? I watched a lot. So I watched uh, Khadija Mabo, Um I forget. Yeah. He, uh, last guy talked about them. Um, I also mm-hmm. watched ContraPoints, uh, mm-hmm. Sarah Zed, uh, Mina Lay, uh, Anna Isabel. Uh, oh God. Interesting. I don't, yeah, I don't know a lot of these people. And it's, I, it is curious to me that there seems to be this significant divide between the video essay space and the left political space. I definitely recommend you getting more in like, what was the last guy that was on on Thursday? What was his name? FD Signifier. Yes. I definitely think uh, talking more like in doing more interviews with them would be fun and just kind of like, cause that's where I think my generation is at and sort of like understanding the culture is through uh, them. And you also talked about like how, like maybe uh, you wanted more fun uh, people to interview, I guess at one point, I forget that, but yeah, I, yeah. I, as a writer, 
I enjoy the completeness with which you can make an argument in print. And mm-hmm. I am envious of the video essayist for having the space to like fully flesh out an idea in that way that doesn't really happen on like a new show, like rising very often. Mm-hmm. And I also like the not live aspect of it, the ability to really plot and plan and make your best argument. And so like, if I could have a glimmer of space and time in the world, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to, I'm trying to get a new computer so I can have a little more processing power and start to do a little editing on my own. But I'm really, yeah. I'm really drawn to the medium and I would love, As, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would like, I mean, I'm me. So sometimes I would like a little bit more of an explicit express left message mm-hmm. in some of those video essays. Um, and I would, you know, I'm curious to see if there's room for someone who bridges that gap in this space. And I might, well, as someone shot. has wa- who watches a lot of those videos, I definitely feel like you scratch that itch with how you do interviews. So yeah, I think, I think you can make it work. So I hope the best. I hope you have fun as much fun as you can for work tomorrow on rising. And I hope you have a great day. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for calling. Keep the in. faith. Keep the faith, my friend. All right. Cousin Eric, what's on your mind this evening? Thanks. Um, just trying to enjoy, not enjoy my night, you know, just listen and just chill. Um, really, um, about, um, so about Michaela. Mm-hmm. Like, and I know I've, I've said this, I've said this too, but it's like, yeah, you can say some of this now. Like you're gonna force a, you're gonna be adversarial to the Democratic establishment now. You can say that now, but when you get in there, if you do, are we really gonna be surprised if she doesn't? Okay, so hear me out, Eric. Of course, that is true of every single candidate in the world. There is very little in the way of guarantees, even with someone as Shama Sawant. I want to remind everybody that they have all this faith in Shama Sawant. Right. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I would remind everybody that that's based on just she is saying what she's saying and she's in there and she's doing what she's doing. But there was no guarantee before she was act- actually elected, just like there's no guarantee for anything. And there's someone that's earlier it. said that it could be anybody else in Shama Sawan's seat and they were very confident that they would also behave right. I hope that that's true, but I don't know that. I mean, that seems like a very big hypothetical. And it, Bruce, and, and all I'm, situation's I, different, bro. Right. We all understand the way we all understand the way that she's different. I've you know, obviously spoken to her on the show very many times and we've had a lot of discussions about the idea of being withhold beholden to a organization. It is also true that AOC and many others are part of DSA as an organization and their willingness to be beholden to them as a choice. I have asked Shama specifically on this podcast, what keeps you beholden to what Socialist Alternative says? And it's because and she answers, because I choose to be. There's obviously no you know, nothing, she's not legally bound to be, she's not being a captive in somebody's basement. Do you know what I mean? I, I say that just to say that if your position is that you don't trust anybody other than Shama Sawant, that's a fair position. If your position is I don't trust anyone other than people who are in social alternative, fair enough. But I think a lot, if you're, if that's not what you're saying, I just want us to be very specific and affirmative about what we would have liked to hear from Shama. So we're not just shooting at you know figments in the sky here you know let's let's at least be try to be constructive with the criticism here and not just go on vibes no nobody's nobody's just like saying stuff off the cuff or anything like that nobody's nobody's doing that 
So without it's, saying the word Shama Sawant, what would you like to have heard from um, Michaela? All I'm saying is, okay, so what's, I guess what, uh, if you're assuming, um, you're assuming like just her as is regardless, or what are we assuming? Or, is, or does it matter? It's your question. I mean, you, you obviously are, you're skeptical. As I think everyone should be skeptical of everyone who's not been elected yet, because we yeah. don't, we simply do not know. But you're skeptical about Michaela Wilkes. So, if you're skeptical, does that mean that you will, are just fundamentally? I believe, Eric, we've talked about this before. You're aren't you a fundamentally like I'm just not into electoralism anymore person? It's not. It's not. I'm just not with this doing this shit with the Democratic Party. Right. Like you're you're you know you're not voting for any Democrats anymore, which is a perfectly legitimate position. But it doesn't necessarily put you in the best position to be critical of, uh, McKay- you know what I mean? How? Like you, on, you how? a priori. How? how? Come on. A- how? how? Because you, Eric, a priori have decided that you don't support Democrats and that's fair. But that doesn't make you a particularly useful commentator about someone who's running as a Democrat. You, you, you so don't, how- you don't like her and that's completely fair. That's time, fine. Time out. Time out, Bree. Come on now. You have. So. The reason. Okay. So one of the reasons why that is. Is simply because it's like okay, what I I look at it and go okay, you're tied to this. not only are you tied to this party, I'm also asking the other question. Now, what happens beyond you? Did you listen to the interview, the full interview, Eric? I listened to about I probably missed like the first five minutes, probably. Did you hear her say that she was happy to leave the Democratic Party once elected? That's all well and good, but that doesn't answer my question. So what's your question? Because you just said that she was beholden to the Democratic Party, and I just, I don't know that I would use the word beholden. No, I say you keep getting tied to this party. You can leave a party whenever you want to. Maryland is a closed primary state. So even, like, Michaela considered running outside of the Democratic Party. If she would have done that... She would have had literally zero chance of winning, at least with her running within the Democratic Party and able to leave. She would not like she at least has a chance to win. Like she would have zero chance to win in in a state like Maryland. And that's just the reality. We live in a staunchly blue district that is predominantly black. Those black folks are voting for whoever has a D next to her name. Next to their name. Afini, I know that. So what's the question? I I deal with the same shit in my area. So, so what? I, I guess I look at I guess I look at her and go, okay, let's given your situation, because you know you know Bree down here in Florida, we're a closed primary state too, and we're right. we're yeah. So, so what, what does that mean for you in terms of these candidates? Then are you just not going I guess to vote? If I'm, I guess if I'm if I'm going to settle on this, if if I had to if I had to like really settle on this, and I guess my question is what. Like, really, what happens beyond you? Because if you're going to do this, I need to know what you're doing beyond just you. And, and again, so, I, I didn't ask her those questions. Though That information is on the Internet. And, Afini, I want you to hop in here and also, also talk more about her organizing you, background. Because, I, you know, obviously people want to know more about her organizing background, and that's fine. I do think it's a bit of a problem that everyone is presuming 
that no organizing background exists and kind of bring in a certain kind of energy to this that I don't think is warranted on, by her on, background. I, I, I didn't presume anything. Well, did you it's look just, into her? I, I mean, you did. And that's fine, Eric. You're based, basing it with something interview, just, but I'm, I'm telling just, you, I'm, but Eric, I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm Eric, I'm no, 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 Eric, Eric, I'm, you gotta, wait, I'm clarifying now. I'm clarifying. You, you, Eric, I didn't jump in. I didn't jump in and just assume nothing about nobody. Eric, I am making the point that if you listen to the full interview, there were nuggets that indicate that she is beholden. Someone put it in the chat earlier that she says she's running for her, for her district, not to run her district. She is a community organizer. And if he's about to talk more about the specifics of her organizing, since that is something that is relevant to people. And that's, I completely appreciate that. But many of the comments that have been made so far do very much presume, perhaps reasonably based on the content of the interview, that she does not have that background. And it is a little curious to me because that is not something that has come up before in other candidate issues. Other candidate issues have been focused on specific answers that people felt like were not up to snuff. This time it feels a little bit like because the answers were up to snuff that the goalposts have shifted a little bit. And that's completely fine if now there's new areas to interrogate because the lowest bar has been met and I want to, I want Athena to answer those kinds of things right now. But I d this does feel like a little bit like the all these questions have the energy of I'm looking for a reason to disqualify her instead of I'm looking for responses that would assure me that I should be excited about her. And maybe that's not fair, but that's my impression. And so Athena, go ahead. Yeah. You know, like anybody who knows me knows that, <clears throat> As far as electoral politics is concerned, you know, I'm skeptical as well. And so I understand it. But at the same time, like Michaela is an organizer. She will tell you herself she's an organizer. You can Google it. She's an organizer. She's one of the few, she's one of the few congressional candidates that I know also that was that were at no war with Russia protests it, way before the invasion even started. Talking about NATO aggression way before the invasion even began. So, Michaela is like, I don't know, like, what else do y'all need? Like, what else do you need? What else do y'all need me to say? And, like, I'm not Michaela. So, at the end of the day, I can tell you all day about how I feel about her and all that stuff. And y'all have to trust my word on that or not based on how y'all feel about me. But I'm telling you, number one, I would not be working for somebody who I did not think was fundamentally, like, fundamentally focused on challenging power. And that is what Michaela is trying to do. Michaela's also trying to run a more local campaign. At the end of the day, we live in a district that is predominantly black where there is a lot of money. Property taxes are high as hell, but black children are getting shot by the police and brutalized by the police. Black boys are getting shuffled out of their high school classrooms straight into Upper Marlboro prison. So that is our focus. And if Bree, like Bree didn't ask any of these questions, but if Bree had asked about uh, Michaela's organizing work, she would have been glad to tell you about how serious she is about dismantling the school to prison pipeline, especially within our community, because it is an issue. So I'm and sorry. She did reference some of that, by the way. She did talk about how she was motivated by the experience of, of being pregnant in prison and how that was a focus of hers uh, at the end of the interview. And she, did, she did say that, but like, I'm sorry that, you know, she didn't say everything that everybody wanted to hear, but 
to come to assume that she is not out here trying to do the impossible thing, which is make it into a space where she is genuinely not wanted to knock out the second most powerful Democrat in the house. I feel like nobody like that actually cares about electoral politics is seriously interrogating her answers that she gave today. And at the end of the day, if you don't fucking want to vote, don't. I'm not telling you to vote for her. I can't even vote for her. I'm a registered independent in Maryland. I couldn't vote for her if I wanted to. I mean, I do want to, but I'm not going to switch my party affiliation to Democrat for anybody. Sorry. And she knows that. <laughs> so at the end of the day, for for everybody to be coming at it like this, especially knowing, you know, no, like not trying to act like I'm so important, but knowing that I work on her campaign, that I'm her field director, and I've been talking the same shit that I was talking since before her the campaign that I'm talking now. If you don't think that informs the type of person and the type of conversations that we're having from the background, I don't really know what else to say. But Michaela is an organizer. And me as an organizer, I would not be saying that shit if I did not think it was true. Eric? Yeah, I understand where Afidi's coming from. So... With, with that, with that in mind, though, um, so let me explain. Let me clear. Let me clear something up. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to attack Michaela. I'm not trying to do anything like that. I just want to make sure that's made clear. So, so think. So, I, I guess I'll, I'll explain it from my perspective. Um, because. Because you know, I'm like like I said, but I think I've said it on here before. But I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher um, in Florida too. Um, so, and I'm at an I'm at an alternative learning center. We're we're dealing with all types of we're dealing with real school to prison bullshit too. Mm-hmm. And when I ask the question of what's what happens beyond her, I'm. I guess I'm approaching it from the from more of an educational lens. Like, I guess, I guess, um, in terms of more so, like a like a sort of community based political power type thing. That's kind of that's kind of where I was thinking, and and yeah, like I said, I'm not I'm not trying to accuse nobody of nothing. It was just, mm-hmm. I, I, like, like I said, I don't know how, how the accusation came out. That was just. Okay. So I, I guess I, I, I feel as though, and even though there was a lot of frustration with, let's say the, um, the interview with, uh, um, sorry, uh, Reverend Wendy and, um, sorry, the, our, our friend from Virginia. I'm yeah. I, mean, I know who you're talking about. But even though there's a lot of frustration with that interview, it did feel even more so, like substantively, with their answers than with this interview. It it did feel like there was a certain sympathy, like a people felt bad for the you know people wanted them to win, they wanted them to be better, and they just were like disappointed by the answers, but they were like rooting for the idea of it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong to ha- to be feeling like that's not the energy in this chat, which again is fine. But like 
again, to me, I, I don't have a dog in this race. If you're over, if you just, because your average Democratic Party can, candidate is running within the Democratic Party, the overwhelming majority of people in America are not members of Socialist Alternative. Yeah, we you know, get and that. And I, and I cannot prove to anybody, you know, Michaela's not here. I didn't ask her. That's on me about her organizing because that is not something that has, you know, been the litmus test so far in these interviews. But, you know, we could have spent 45 minutes talking about her, her um, organizing background and maybe she can come back and we can do that again if people want, want to hear that. But even, even um, Mafini saying that she has this background doesn't seem to be especially convincing for folks. Um, and it does seem a little bit like there's a, gen- a, gen- a generalized discontent with the idea of a candidate running, which again is completely legitimate, but I'd rather we just say that instead of, you know, kind of holding space for Michaela to have done something differently when it's starting to feel to me like there's nothing really that she could have said or done other than being a member of socialist alternative. I mean, I, I guess she's, that's the, I didn't know Maryland was a closed primary state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, like I said, they're in the same situation Florida's in. Mm -hmm. And it's just the fact that, yeah, yeah, you're hearing it from me, other people. It's like, you're seeing this fail and fail and fail. It's like, y'all, can we, if you're going to do this, can we actually have a a plan? Can you actually have a plan or something? Like, like. I guess the reason people look to Shama so much is because not only is she principled enough to hold herself accountable, but she has a group that will uh, that will apply pressure to her. Mm-hmm. That's outside of these two parties. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, Eric. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. It does feel to me like you know, it's an hour long interview and that she's getting criticism for my choice not to ask her about certain things. It would be one thing if she said, I'm not an organizer. I think I'm going to do this all by my own. I'm just a good person and a strong willed person. And that's how we're going to get things done, which is the kind of thing certain other candidates have said that have been very disappointing to us. She didn't say any of that. So it does feel like the, a, an absence of a question and answer on my end is being taken as, oh, she just isn't these things instead of asking me, Oh, I wonder if she is these things. It's like, well, she's not this, so I'm not enthusiastic. And so I just caution everybody to say it's not that she's not this, just because it didn't come out in an hour-long interview. You know, and and like other candidates who did affirmatively say that they had a more narrow kind of uh, individual-focused uh, approach to all this. But thank you for calling in, Eric. I appreciate it. All right, appreciate it. All right, Andrew, you're up next. What's on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree. Hey, Fink. Um, super fire ring of, uh, not ring, because that's like ring of fire, but string of episodes you've been doing with FD Signifier, the one on Somalia and the kind of redeployment of troops. So good stuff. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think I think I also agree with you. I think that out of the candidates you've interviewed, um, I feel like Michaela had the best answers and the best kind of um the best feel to her and even when she was talking about um i'm sorry is it quayar that she's running against mm. uh, no sorry that's uh, she's running a Cindy hoyer 
Quayle oh, Hoyer, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, and even when she was uh, kind of bringing up a laundry list of things about Steny, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like, to me, I didn't feel, I felt like she very clearly addressed your question before that and then went on to say, also, here's some of the um, the issues, here's some of the major criticisms I have of this one particular person who is a very senior member of the party. So I'm definitely not going to be coming into this without, um, you know, without guns loaded, essentially. Um, so I guess, and I, and I also was equally um, or similarly rather excited by the fact that she said, yeah, I'm willing to get in and bounce to another party. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was a, that was a very, um, well, hold on. Okay. I'll just say, first of all, I, I kind of am looking forward to almost like if she does win to like a Cynthia McKinney um, standard, or I guess that's like mm-hmm. kind of the the bar where I'm like, that would be fucking awesome because mm-hmm. it's not like, you know, in the Clinton era and the Bush era, it's not like Cynthia McKinney had it. You know, there was no more radical segments of the party and she still tried to get like an investigation into or like, you know, un- unseal files from the FBI on uh, Martin Luther King and Tupac. Uh, she did some, you know, very serious criticisms that still people are afraid to make of Bush about, you know, how preventable was 9-11 um, without getting too much further into that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess I guess there's some investigative powers. There's some kind of, you know, major increase in the ability to propagandize that you do get as a member of Congress. And I think that we should be bringing up abandoning the party more because it's not something that has really come up. I, I kind of feel like if if the existing members of the squad weren't serving the kind of PR polishing um, purposes that they are, that they do seem to be doing for the, the Democratic Party, whether or not they're, you know, I'm not saying they all are personally trying to do that, but it seems like were there not some kind of, um, you know, benefit, something that was kind of booing the party a little bit, I feel like already the party would have tried to kind of excommunicate these people. I mean, they did kind of take away, uh, you know, committee positions, but that's not even nearly the extent of what they could do. They could just, you know, they could just drop all support and completely supplant them with someone else who's more um, more amiable to the, the, the main party line, the main corporate line. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was exciting for me to hear her say, yeah, I would be down to leave um, the party because <clears throat> in Mexico, um, AMLO ran twice with a party called uh, the, the PRD. I think that's the Revolutionary Democratic Party. Um, mm-hmm. And in that time, um, it was very clear that he was robbed twice. Now, this is different, mm-hmm. right, because he was a presidential candidate. He had a national um you know, recognition. Uh, so he's really much more comparable to Bernie Sanders. Uh, that's a whole sep- kind of separate conversation. But for for him to have made a, a very strong effort twice inside the party to have ostensibly actually won the numerical votes for the election um, before and then say, OK, well, this is not worth the time. I think I, I made criticisms before, actually, of I don't remember if it was Amy Valella or someone else, but I said, I'm not I'm not here for people like personal uh, political journey to watch them learn what knowledge is already available about the Democratic Party. But if there's a solid chance to win, if she's down to jump out or to at least be very 
disruptive. I think there's a very high like propaganda value. There are material um, benefits that can come from that, from the investigative powers, from um, being able to read things into the record of Congress. If we think back to like Mike Ravel. So even though I'm definitely someone who's in the boat of um, no thank you to the Democratic Party on my nicest days, um, definitely, um, you know, what if any mentioned earlier, like I do know a little bit about Jenny from um, your previous, you know, fairly large, you know, video archive of, of discussions and, and, um, and analysis online. And I didn't know that, I don't know if I was not paying attention. I only saw the 20 minutes on YouTube. I didn't know you were on her staff, but anyways, I'm just saying, um, if people have heard my comments before, or if they've talked to me or whatever, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not somebody who's down to keep, uh, sitting on the carousel for the Democrats. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not somebody who thinks that we need that we need to um, ad- adopt the the rhetoric and the timeline of urgency on one issue or another to to prioritize an immediate chance of a win inside the Democratic Party versus building a serious better option. But at the same time, I still felt very um, optimistic listening to the interview that she did with Michaela. Mm. Well, thank you for calling in, Andrew. I appreciate your perspective. I'm going to start right, hopping um, around just yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I'll make sure, but thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, I'm going to hop around a little bit because I feel like some people are responding to some people who have already spoken and have gotten in the queue for that reason. So let's go with uh, Jabari. What do you think about all this, Jabari? Hello. Um, Hello. I actually, I was not uh, calling in to respond to anyone. Um, I wanted to talk about um, JD Signifier FD. (laughs) Yeah, I keep I keep doing that too. (laughs) FD Signifier. (laughs) Although I do want to say, like, listening to your conversation has really has me like sort of rethinking everything in the moment. So if my ideas aren't as clear as I plan for them to be, that's kind of why. Um, But I, I wanted to start with sort of an inflammatory statement in the vein of someone that I actually want to criticize, Irony, uh, Ose Frimpong, who you frequently, fre- frequently have on the show. Um, I take issue with how the Blacks tend to <laughs> act on your show, or the, those two recent examples of Black men that have been on your show. Um, I, I perceive, and it could just be me, uh, but there's sort of this like uh, almost performative slant to their... Blackness, I think, with J, is it JD, FD, the signifier, FD. Mm-hmm. FD um, there was this sort of thing where he's like, I, I felt like he was trying to uh, sort of um, position himself as like the Ivy League educated man that says the N word, you know. And I'm like, how much of that actually, how much of that persona really furthers your ideas? And with Irony, there's a lot of like talking about the whites and things that. I, honestly, I don't see as much of, like he was just on breaking points. And it was frankly the most coherent I've ever heard him uh, illustrate his ideas. And that's not to disparage the way that he does in general. It was just particularly well, like, the um, <laughs> opposite of what I'm doing. The <laughs> particularly well, like, described or, or mm-hmm. explained, basically, mm-hmm. you know. And I wonder how much of that is, A, that people feel comfortable when they 
are interviewing with you. Or two, there is this sort of like, I'm a black man playing to or with a black woman. Like, how much more do I want to like, you know, push this thing up? And the reason I talk about this, I'm not a race, like reductionist. I don't like boiling everything down to race. Even though if you look at my profile, you can probably figure out I'm mixed. But I want to talk, I want to have open conversations about race so we can talk about it figure out exactly what it means to us and our sense of self and sense of identity, identify the ways that we illustrate that honestly and performatively, and then put that shit to rest so we can actually get to the meat and potatoes of like what we all believe is right and wrong in general. You know what I mean? And like I guess I would ask to... you, Jabari. Oh, I yes. guess I would ask you, why do you think that what let's, let's stick with, um, uh, Irony for a second. Why do you think mm-hmm. that his how he behaves on this show is the performative one as opposed to how he behaves on Breaking Points? Well, when you're his position, when you and I'm mixed, so I'm not, I'm certainly not casting like any sort of ill feeling towards someone who is in a mixed race <laughs> relationship, right? But when you talk about the whites in the way that he does does on your show, when your partner is a white person. It just it, it just seems performative to me in a way that wouldn't if his children say in ten fifteen years referred to that they would just have a different perspective or a different. And he doesn't talk about the whites on Breaking Points. I mean, he might talk about oh, I mean, I think he has before. I I don't know. I mean, I don't think as a as in. I mean, he definitely talks about the whites. Like, that's his, like, thing. That's his thing. <laughs> right I mean, now. I don't know about Breaking Points, but he certainly <laughs> talks about him on his own show. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, and then I could just be... I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm interested just... in this question. With respect to FD Signifier, you know, I don't know that I agree with the characterization of him um, saying he's an Ivy League. I mean, I don't even know that he went to an Ivy League school. So, I, I mean, he was talking about having a PhD in the subject area or having mm-hmm. pursued PhD study in the, in the subject area, I think in part, because I do think, and maybe this is a projection and he, you know, I would be interested to see what he says for himself, but I do think there's a frustration of some of us black folks in the lefty media space where our observation is that we have to be on the whole, a lot more credentialed in order to occupy the same space of white bread tube commentators. And maybe we don't have to right. be, but when you look around, when you look around, Funky Academic mm-hmm. is in his PhD studies, FT Signifiers, ABD, uh, all but finished his dissertation with his PhD, has two master's degrees. I have a, a law degree. Eliami has a law degree in practices in New York City. And then you have like your Valshas and your Tim Pools and, and no disrespect to a lot of people that I really like. Um, yeah who are reporters and journalists and have an enormous amount of expertise that makes them credible and useful or people who are workers like, you know, Max and have enormous credit. Although I think actually he has a pretty significant academic background too. Now I think about it. I think he might have a, have done some graduate studies, but like, you know, I think a lot of, and he's also not white, but a lot of the, you know, the white commentators, you know, are very different from us. And I think that it's, it, there's something a little bit different from, than being a credentialist to be frustrated that it seems to be to break into this world and be listened to and taken seriously 
when you're not white or don't have that like authoritative Vosh voice or aren't male or have a beard or whatever, that it takes more from us. And I, and so I, I, I interpreted him bringing some of those things up as, you know, an articulation of that frustration and also a calling card to say, I actually do kind of know what I'm talking about when it comes to this manosphere stuff, because I, I wrote my dissertation on mass shootings. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, and I like that too. The, the thing is like, both of these things are true. Like there are, there are, but there are a lot of audiences. There are people who only value credentials. And there are people who are racist and there are people who are open to listening to black voices who are quote unquote uncredentialed and the people that aren't. But the the loudest people who sort of like steer the discourse, at least online, yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right, do sort of lend that way where they're not going to hear you out if you if you are not credentialed. But it's like then you play that game of now I have to prove how credentialed I am. So like now I need as a black man or, or a black person, I have to. I have to, you know, heighten these aspects about myself because that's the only way that you can see me. But at the same time, that also reinforces the idea that those are the only things that matter. So that you can't, you can't live opposed to an ideology by like feeding into the the, the core conceit of that ideology. I I get that, I get that, but. You know, I, I'm also a little torn here because I, I understand how it sounded Me when he was too. saying it. I, I know I was like, you know, people, some people aren't going to like that. He said that, but we were also talking a little bit before we started recording and I was asking him to what he attributes his success. I mean, that video that we were talking about is about to hit half a million, you know, at this point, it was 250,000 when we recorded, you know, he just kind of came on the scene less than a year ago, I think about six months ago. And you know, he was like, candidly, I, you know, I think it's partly because I, I actually do know what I'm talking about and I am smart. And oftentimes people are not, you know, it's, I'm sorry, I don't mean to, to ID, ID poll this, but there's a, an imposter syndrome thing where a lot of times you're a woman or a person of color, you don't feel entitled to say the obvious thing like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm smart and that's mm-hmm. why I'm successful. Like I, I wrote a good script and I edited it well and that's why I'm successful. Yeah. You know, I, I think I mean, that's frankly why that's why that's why ContraPoints is successful, because I'm sorry, she's a she's a Ph.D. student and a researcher and she knows what she's talking about. And her videos are so rich with references and citations and mm-hmm. allusions to literature and culture and philosophy and history that 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 is, you know, it's, you don't have to be kind of book learned to be good at this sort of thing. There And there are commentators who have a different style and approach. But I do think that's what makes those two particular commentators good. And are you allowed to talk about that? I don't know. Is it just too off-putting and everyone should just pretend that that's not going on? I, I don't know. I don't know. I I think that's why we need coalitions and people to, like, champion you for you. Like, I'll go on Twitter and be like, Brianna Joy Gray is amazing and brilliant and whatever. And people might think I'm a stan or whatever. But I think it's still, it just <laughs> Then if you go on there and you're like, come to my call in because I have a law degree and I know what I'm talking about and I'm good at what I do. And all those things are true, but there's still like, once, once you get to a certain level of popularity, it's hard because it's like, you don't want to be like, I don't need any more. It it, kind of starts coming across as I don't need any more viewers. I don't need to build my coalition anymore. And for well-intentioned and well-meaning people like the two of us, we want great things to happen. We're going to have to c- 
continue to grow our platforms and just pitfalls like that. Like I liked a lot of what he had to say and I, I didn't like that I was turned off. And a lot of that is like human me being like, ugh, this guy's full of himself. I'm like, that's petty. And I have to check myself on that as well. <laughs> but I guess I just, I want all of us to like sort of help in doing that work of like staying humble, uplifting each other, growing our audiences for to the end of doing good things. All right, Jabari, I, I feel like there's some people who are eager to, to weigh in here. So let me bring, I really appreciate you to bringing this, bringing this up. I don't know that everyone's going to agree with you, but I think it's a stimulating point for conversation. <laughs> and, Andre, what do you have to say about what our friend Jabari uh, is bringing up here? So I think a lot of, oh, by the way, hello, Bree. Sorry about that. Hello, Andre. Welcome to the room. <laughs> um, all right. So I think he was adding in a bunch of weird qualifiers. Like, I don't think we needed to understand that he was mixed for him to have an opinion about this. Um, and also, I, I think it's a, a, a little unfair to um, kind of ignore, like, even if I don't agree, personally, I didn't agree with a lot of what FD Signifier was saying, but you can't deny that the man is well-learned and that he wasn't coming from, uh, you know, a source of, like, you know, of actually having expertise in the things that he was talking about. Like, it's evident. Mm-hmm. Like, am I making sense? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, he didn't, you're saying he didn't have to say it. Right, it was, un, it was it was uncalled for, and and this whole thing of like you know why does race have to come up because we live in the United States of America, it's like it's gonna come up, it's baked into the pie. Well, I think his like question we, with with irony, it's not why does race come up, it's why does he frame it as the blacks and the whites kind of using intentionally provocative. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He uses pretend- yeah, he intentionally provocative language, and he's doing it. And we've talked about that. We literally talked about this when he was on the show last. You know, he feels as though kind of deploying the same language that has been used historically about black people to talk about white people has a certain kind of equalizing effect, um, leveling effect, and is also provocative in interesting ways and challenges the way people think about black people, even if they're no longer talking about black people in those terms because it's not PC. And I appreciate that project. I happen to think that it is provocative in a way that makes his point sometimes not heard to some folks. I know that there are environments where that would land very, very well. And it, that's a part of the issue with the internet is that you say things into the void and any old person can hear them. And we're all kind of making different calculations about who the perceived audience is. Well, I think also with him, he is, I listened to his show, otherwise like his YouTube show. Mm-hmm. And he's also coming from a very authentic place. Like he's um, like, you can tell he believes what he says. It's not a shtick. And I think that's like what's important to actually acknowledge because everyone has their communication styles and he's figured out a style that captivates an audience. And I appreciate that, even though, again, he's another person that I don't fully agree with because mm-hmm. I think some of what he says is um, hyperbolic and it might distract away from the actual issue. And even um, I just don't agree on a lot of it also just because I think we'd be better served by focusing more on universal programs and you know, this hyper focus on things like reparations. And I even feel bad even mentioning that because I wouldn't be like, I'm not an ADOS person. So um, I know it might come across as um, belittling of the situation, but it's not that. It's just more like I like when we do the metrics and we kind of figure out how black people have actually benefited in this country, it's usually because of 
uh, of like universal programs. It's not by well, that's because specific. nobody ever gives us anything specific. I would argue, Andre. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. But or, but even if you take other groups who have gotten things specifically, like let's say the Japanese or even uh, Native American people, like as a group, they they get way more from Social Security than they do from reservations and from. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that the payments given to inter Japanese folks made them whole by any means but i'm not looking right. at japanese americans thinking they're in a struggle bus situation no. and i'm not looking at you know <laughs> yeah, we you yeah. know part of the frustration around bernie sanders and his lack of support for reparations came because around the same time he had just supported a reparations bill for holocaust survivors because there was a lawsuit against i believe one of the train companies that was transporting jews to concentration camps and right. you know he was supportive of that dispersion to american jews and not of any holocaust sorry any 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 suits that would be against let's say the insurance companies like aetna who in, who profited off of insuring slave deaths to give payouts to masters and all of those other kinds of things right and so i think there are a lot of really legitimate parallels here also i gotta say this about reparations it is mm-hmm. not about closing the racial wealth gap reparations right. are about a, it's a tort claim it's a harm that was done and the money is owed regardless of if it does fuck all to the status of Americans. If I get hit by a car, get a tort payment, and then want to squander it all at the casino, that's my business. Sure, <laughs> if I, I want to use it all on heroin, that's my business. You know, I still am owed that money because someone did something wrong to me. And and of course, like of course, like who wouldn't agree with that, right? As a black person, I definitely, even if I'm someone who wouldn't benefit from it, I definitely agree with that. But I think it's kind of um, it's folly at this point to expect people who've never treated any of us like human beings to one day get up and say, you know what, we're going to give them more money than we would give the whole country healthcare. You know what I mean? It just feels like it just feels like misdirected energy, and is not going to do what it's supposed to accomplish because well, it's like I know, I, 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 look. Andre, even if you feel that way, I think that coming out specifically against the one group in America that never gets specific claims, telling them that their right. request for a specific claim is anti-solidaristic, is pretty anti-solidaristic. And if it were me, I would just keep my mouth closed about it. And if there were other things that I wanted to prioritize, I would talk about those things. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time imagining opening my mouth in the middle of all these anti-Asian hate crimes and saying, mm-hmm. you know – Sure, you shouldn't push Chinese Americans on the train tracks, but really, do we need an anti-Asian hate bill right now? Like, is this really what our focus should be on? No. Is that part of my priority? No. But I'm not going to come and get in the way of one of my brothers and sisters' priorities because it's, it's no skin off my back. Oh, Fine, fair go enough. do it. <laughs> fair enough. And again, it's not to say that I don't um, support or even uh, think that it's um, deserved. It's not that. It's just, again... When I think about how do we get to a place where things are better for us, like when it's like measurably better, that's what I think about. Like, well, wouldn't our energy be better directed towards like, you know, more universal programs since we can actually see through data that it's actually been the thing that's done to uplift the community as a whole. That's all I keep thinking about. Like, should be told, like I like I always say, like, I'll be fine no matter what, because, you know, whatever. I, I have other skill sets and I don't I don't necessarily need that to feel whole. What I do want to just see is that, like, I can't stand seeing the suffering of people who look like me. And, and I keep thinking, how do we get from point A to point B? And what's the best vehicle to get there? Well, we can feel- walk with them. So if, if they can 
go they showed us what the government can do during covid they can deposit checks into whoever's bank account they want to whatever they feel like it. they showed us that so it's the same way that they can show us that they can give black people the specific reparations that we need and they and if you don't think that all these corporations and all of these other you know institutions that were started as slave traders and slave brokerages and slave stores whatever the hell else if you don't think they have records of who the hell they had you crazy if, it, if white people got anything they got paperwork they got paperwork. I, I, I have my family slave papers I, I that argument always drives me crazy talking about who knows who's a slave i know there's receipts. They're right there. The 1960 the 1860s census. I know they're mad about that one because <laughs> they I'm have not, every single receipt. All of them. I have no problem are, proving that all four of my grandparents were descended to slaves. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not saying you guys are wrong. You guys are absolutely right. But again, we've never, ever seen one iota that they would actually do any. They won't do anything for white people. Like they won't give white people health care. But that's, I just but don't that's see not the that. argument. But look, my friend. Andre, yeah. you brought up reparations to be clear in this Of course, yeah, I did. So I you did. brought up reparations to talk about how nobody's interested in reparations and how we should be t- focused on other things. If you want to bring up a, a, a thing that you want us to focus on, bring up that thing and talk about your thing. There's no reason to come out of pocket and, and, and put down somebody else's agenda because what you're doing unintentionally is propagandizing against somebody else's benefit. And that I don't think is solidaristic. And every black American in this chat, the second you said I'm not ADOS and then spent all this energy talking about why ADOS people shouldn't get something, you immediately lost them. And those are people who, if you were trying to leave a movement for Medicare or all or for something like that, would not trust you. They would not trust you. So my advice to you is to simply advocate, say positive things about what you're for. And unless you have a principled reason why you don't think a certain policy should go for because it hurts people or is harmful, is bad, is negative, then I would leave it alone. I would just leave it alone because we would truly would not even be talking about reparations right now if you hadn't brought it up. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you for calling in, Andre. All right. All right. Let's hear from uh, Cynthia. What is on your mind this evening, Cynthia? It's been a while. Did I mess that up or did Cynthia mess that up? Unclear, unclear. We'll try that again. Let's go with Isaac. I don't think I've seen this avatar before. What's on your mind this evening, Isaac? Can you unmute yourself, Isaac? The little red button in the bottom or a little microphone. Okay. Wait, did I get it? You did get it. What's on your mind? Uh... Um, wanted to say that I thought that Michaela seemed pretty rad. Cool, cool. Anything specific? <clears throat> um, no, I mean, the stuff that you guys have been going over already, like uh, the her being more direct about mm-hmm. her answers and just in general, I actually went and checked out her campaign uh, website afterward and thought yeah she seems pretty legit at least you know in terms of looking at a person and what they actually stand for and Mm -hmm. and her background considered yeah yeah i mean i I tend to agree but i respect the other people's uh opinions around here um you know i did see some people in the on patreon saying that they're over candidate interviews altogether 
And I thought to myself, and this is why I don't read Patreon comments. <laughs> um, and I, I appreciate that, but you know, you try to give a mix and I have a hard time seeing people who are really, what seems to me, even if you're not into it, the best of what we've got and to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to use one of the few left platforms that exists to try to have these people on. And then also be one of the few left platforms that exists. that's actually going to ask them the kinds of questions that would inform us to know whether or not we should support them and not just because they're leftists, but because they're principled, how can I not use the space for those kinds of opportunities? So I'm, I'm glad you appreciated it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to try and call anybody out, but the one guy, I forget who it was when you just said, Hey, you know, tell me exactly what you're thinking without invoking this person's name. And then there was just a huge pause. And I thought that was uh, pretty strange when people are uh, pushing the goalposts further and further. And it's kind of like, instead of actually being principled, there's some reactionary uh, backlash happening. Yeah. I, I like, I, I really do. I am sensitive to, the concern. I don't think it's wrong to want to know that Michaela is, you know, sees herself as beholden to a constituency, beholden to something other than her kind of personal grit and ideals. Cause we have seen people be swayed for whatever reason, once again, to office, even though I think they are principled. I think Cory Bush is a principled person. I have no reason to doubt that. I think that Ilhan Omar and, and Rashida Tlaib are principled people. I have no reason to doubt that. The question isn't whether they are like, wanting deep on the inside to do the right thing, but what's, what are the barriers preventing them to do that from doing that? And what are the structural supports that can help people to stick the landing? I think those are, that's a very legitimate question to ask. I think it's a little unreasonable to think that the only answer to that question, and I'm not saying this is what Eric was saying, but I think it's a little unreasonable to think that the only answer to that question is socialist alternative. So if there's a suggestion for what that looks like outside of socialist alternative, or if the answer is just, can you make sure that every candidate belongs to socialist alternative, then just say that. But I just want to be really specific about what it is that we're looking for so that, and I want to know this as an interviewer so that if the answer, if, if, if what you want to hear people say is I'm going to have weekly check-ins with my constituents and hold this many town halls every year or, or, or whatever you think it is, I will ask them and we can get that kind of thing on the record. But I don't want it just to be this kind of amorphous. I don't trust them because they don't seem to be as trustworthy as this one model that we have in Seattle. When we don't have a vision of how to replicate that model in other parts of the country, we're holding them to a standard that we haven't even really fully fleshed out on our own, you know, what it looks like. Right. I, I think that, if anything, it's probably that uh, maybe through your podcast, that's the first place that people have been exposed to something like that. And they're just not, you know, holding on to the fact that that's just an example of it. And it it's not like the de facto thing that everybody has to do to succeed or be accountable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that, Isaac. Is there anything else that you had in your mind? Um, one, uh, yeah, actually one thing I don't want to like derail the conversation too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, if you're a, like, if I can bring up Tucker Carlson. Sure. What's he up to these days? I 
have absolutely no, no idea. I only know what he's up to because of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's fine, but it's also interesting. Uh, I was just curious if, like, if you pay attention to the conservative media, if you do read any conservative writing, like National Review. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, that was a question. Oh, do I? Sorry, that was a... Okay, I thought that it was... <laughs> you were going to ask me. If you do, then what do you think of this? Um, I I watch only probably a couple of times a week what Tucker's response to something, is, like whatever the event of the day is. Um, or I'll watch a clip if I see it on YouTube or on Twitter. I don't watch as regularly as I should. Obviously I watched a bunch for the Tucker episodes that we did about the New York times piece. And then obviously the follow-up episode on the great replacement stuff. Um, I should watch more regularly. And I think everyone should be watching more regularly because I think we're, we, there's a huge misunderstanding about the character of his propaganda and it's difficult to respond to it effectively if you don't understand it. I also think it is the most I, – I know that it's the most popular news show in America. And I think it's deeply naive to not have some curiosity as to why. I think it's hubristic. Right. Well, so do you read any conservative, like, editorials or uh, magazines or anything like that? Because no, I – the on reason the whole, I don't read much of anything, to be honest, unless I'm specifically jamming for this show. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, the reason that I ask is because, like, it is kind of a marvel of, like, how popular Tucker Carlson is, but the way that he goes about his propaganda, it it seems like really run-of-the-mill if you go to any of these other places where, like, the quote-unquote intellectuals of the right are kind of brainstorming and tossing ideas out. So if you go to a place like National Review, you're going to read an article and it's going to come off the exact same way as Tucker Carlson does. Yeah, when we talked about it on this show, on the Tucker Carlson episode, and the New York the New York Times piece made this clear, is that his process is just to do a cursory review of all of those stories and to pull what seems to be resonating already, that he's an amplification tool, not someone who's coming up with original ideas. That so that gels with that, right? And uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's just that rhetorical strategy. It's everywhere in that media sphere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I the the amount of work that was required. I mean, you can't be doing your own research and doing a daily show, as I've learned. So honestly, without people like David Sirota and the people at the Intercept or whatever writing articles that you can just kind of skim and clobber, you know, glom together into a, a dialogue, a, a, a teleprompter read for your show, there would be nothing. Like no one could do it even if they wanted to do it. And so I, th- I think the process makes sense and everyone is doing some version of the process. The only difference is that the left it has limited reporting to pull from and the right ecosystem is broader um, because half of the left three quarters and 80 percent of left media you know broad left media is neoliberal horseshit <laughs> right you know so again and i know that people are there was a lot of heat over the weekend i'm sorry i was at my reunion and i wasn't really paying attention to the internet but everyone was coming for david sirota again for some reason I, i'm not entirely sure 
And I just got to say, criticisms are criticisms and they're fine. Obviously, I had my criticisms of some of the force the vote stuff. And I certainly was very critical of Ryan throughout the force the vote stuff. But I hope we can be critical of each other without trying to do full on character attacks and telling everybody that everybody's an op and all of this kind of stuff. Because I, I don't know, I literally would not be able to do my job if those people weren't writing what they were writing and doing reporting that they were reporting. No matter how frustrating I'm frustrated, I might be with them at any given time. Like, I just don't want to lose sight of who the real enemies here are. And it's really dispiriting and it makes it very difficult to exist on the internet when all the people that I like are constantly calling each other the worst names in the book. Meanwhile, there's like actual fascists. I don't know. It's, it was a little dispiriting to come back to. I mean, that, that everything that you just said is why I am particularly fond of the term leftist. And I have friends in my life who are like, Oh yeah, well, like, eventually you'll reach this point in your thinking or eventually, you know, you'll become this. And I'm like, no, I, I don't really care about that because in terms of politics in the United States, to whatever extent that actually even exists, like I just, <laughs> I want there to be actual left politics. And so I'm not going to attack anybody, uh, you know, as far as, I don't know, somewhere a bit left of center. Yeah. And we can just, we can just say what we think is wrong. Like I disagree with, I disagree with what you said, you know, Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you hate the whole person. You can agree with what someone said. Like I'm, you know, people love to be taking my comments about, you know, I did a radar last week about how Fox news has more progressives on it than CNN, which is just like a fact from like a fair media article from like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. That's just like someone ran the numbers on the composition of the panels on the respective shows. And there's more progressives on Fox news than there are on CNN and MSNBC. That's just a fact. And people clip that as me saying, I think Fox is better. <laughs> I love oh, Fox. Boy. I love Tucker Carlson. It's like ridiculous. So like, just because you can say you can like an aspect of something. I can't believe I'm saying this. It's like, I'm, it's like preschool. You can like an aspect of something without liking the whole of something. You can dislike an opinion of someone without thinking the whole thing is trash. We can yeah. we can do this together, guys. I really believe in us. Thank you for calling in, Isaac. Yeah, I'm thank gonna, you. I'm going to try to get Cynthia up here again. She said she wasn't ready, but now she is. Cynthia, what's on your mind this evening? Okay, I am ready. <laughs> Hit me. Um, oh, my God. Your last comment just reminded me of the, the uh, part of your Charlie Kirk debate, which, by the way, you really prefaced it as it like, oh, it's going to be so bad. And I, I literally was, I see where you got, you know, maybe a little upset with yourself about getting a little too heated at the beginning, but I honestly thought overall you did like a really, really good job. Um, Thanks, Cynthia. Yes. But no, but that part where, where he was just like, he would not back down from this fetishization of the fourth or the founding fathers. And you're like, why? They're all this? like that. They're all like that. That's the whole thing. And that's the whole thing with CRT, too. He's like, but they gave away, you know. Uh, oh, my God. It's George Washington gave away his slaves after he died. Yeah. Oh, and that is wow. Know, he was dead. <laughs> and know, every, you know, he had the fact that, like, your brain doesn't register like you had a slave for even one minute of your life. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. is, like, a profoundly amoral thing to do. 
Like you just can't even, you can't even talk to, you can't even get, you can't even have a conversation with them. You can't even, they can't even sit. Well, you know what it is though? It's, I mean, if I'm going to do a psychoanalytical read here, it's a, it's, it's a, it's just, it's visceral searing vulnerability that, <clears throat> you know, is very uncomfortable for, for us whites to sit in. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll concede to that. Like, you know, when I, when I hear like the whites, I, I like, I do feel a pain, an internal pain. And like, I'm not saying that's wrong, but obviously I have a, maybe hopefully a little more emotional maturity to like be conscious of that and like, you know, critically kind of assess it versus just like having a reaction like that. But um, the whole reparations talk made me think of the most recent uh, season of Atlanta. I don't know if anyone's been watching, but it's been pretty, been pretty great. I only watched the first few episodes, and then I said I would wait for the guy I'm dating to catch up. Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's scary for us whites, but um, no, it's really good. But um, hi, Courtney. I see you in the listeners. So fun fact: Courtney and I have uh, found each other on the internet via the internet. Courtney was supposed to come to New York City this weekend, and we were going to start organizing and planning and oh, recruiting. I, I know, recruiting us folks, but I got sick because I apparently Aww. it wasn't COVID, but I don't know what it was. I've been getting sick ever since I moved to New York. Mm. I don't know. But um, no, but this kind of, I guess, just dovetails into the question of what do we do? Uh, what do we do <laughs> per the conversation today? I'm like, not so much, you know, I think Michaela's great. I love the interview. I love the conversation. I don't have any qualms with her individually. It's just that these, you know, I was looking, you know how you get those on your Instagram? Like, remember this memory from four years ago or whatever, like your Instagram mm-hmm. stories. There was one that came up recently for me where it was like back in 2018 and all these members of the squad were getting elected. And I had this, you know, this Instagram story that was like, hell yes. Like, you know, we're taking it down. We're going to the house. Like, Mm -hmm. and I felt such despair and per this conversation, per the conversation of like, you know, AOC crying and $40 billion to Ukraine and Nina Turner, you know, a two Brute squad, you know, I just Mm -hmm. like, I don't know what to do at this point because I don't not have faith in these people and their convictions. I believe them, but it just seems as though, as though some house of cards ass shit happens behind the scenes. They get sucked into the machine. And my question is like, can we even rally them to something like a force the vote? Can we even do that on the outside as, you know, protesters, organizers, or is that a futile gesture in itself? And I guess before I want to, I want you to answer the question or whatever thoughts you may have, because I was going to, um, sorry, I was going to ask you, oh, I was going like pre the row, you know, situation, I was full on like, we got to go third party. We we have to, like, I, I went on Katie Holtler's show too. And I was, when she had, she had Batar on mm-hmm. and I was like, I, I've been thinking maybe we can like ha- like a convention of some sort to have lefties come together and sort of like organize like what do we do because I feel like right now you know the energy is just sort of splayed in all these directions and I was pro third party yes we got to go third party but I have to admit that now I'm that person who sucked back in to well it's the better of two evil you know because of things like Roe and things like gun control and 
so I guess my question is like, where, I mean, if you don't want to share, you know, the intimate details of your, like where you're currently at, but I'm wondering where you're currently at, because the three options that I'm seeing right now is we either gung ho, all try and all decide to go third party, or we uh, just organize on the outside, or I guess, I don't know, keep electing Democrats or, you know, progressive Democrats, like we concurrently try and build up a new, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, mm -hmm. I know we all kind of don't know where to turn. So I'm just wondering where you're currently at with those kind right. of like options that are floating around right now. Well, I want Shahid Buttar to win. And I think people should yeah. be very excited about it and very invested in it. And, I, you know, it matters if Nancy Pelosi is no longer Speaker of the House. It just does. Right. I'm sorry. Right. It would mean it would be a big deal. I, I want Michaela to win. Like I wanted the candidates that I, you know, that, you know, I wanted um, Allie Delsimer to win despite having frustrations with her, not necessarily giving the answers of, that seemed to, you know, not giving answers that suggested that she really understood our theory of power. I still wanted her to win. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it, it, I do think there's a difference. It, put Ali Dalsmer to the side for a second. There's a significant difference between Michaela Wilkes and you know Jam Jam Jamal Bowman. Right. Oh you know, it just God. is. <laughs> and there's a significant difference between Jahid Buttar and AOC. There just is. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and it, you can I, I like completely respect everyone who's like, I'm not giving any more of my money. I completely get that. I completely get wanting to prioritize mutual aid. I get all of those things. But Shahid Buttar's race being largely ignored by the left, I got to say, it irritated me last time, and it's frustrating this time. I don't get it. I don't get it. Because to me, it evinces a, um, an, uh, an indifference to Nancy Pelosi that betrays what you say your commitments are on the left. Yeah. Like, how are you going to be all anti-imperialist and have all these thoughts and feelings and, you know, capitalism is so terrible and all this. And like, here sits Nancy. She should be your like Mondo demon final level boss to be, uh, you know, like not actually. Right. I know that she, she doesn't go down and capitalism doesn't go down with her. But like in terms of symbolic victories for the left and in terms of gaining actual power in the house, presuming we were to even keep it like that, that is meaningful. And sometimes I do share the frustrations of folks like, um, let's say, Sirota or even Marion Williamson and Katie Halper, who do sometimes react in ways that I don't agree with. But the sentiment is, you know, there's a collapsing of the degrees of goodness and badness within electoral politics. Like I look at someone like Rebecca Parson and I think, how can people not want to help her as much as possible? Right. Like she's bad. Like she's badass. She's based. She's going on Newsweek. I don't know if you guys saw that amazing I interview she that. did on Newsweek today or doing so a couple well days ago. Like she, she should be a model for us all. And to not in my position more, you know, I can do my little bit and like have people on and stuff. I don't see how I couldn't not. Mm -hmm. I, even though I understand why other people who have a few means at their disposal want to use those means for other things. And I understand how electoralism can be a distraction from those other things legitimately. 
But so a candidate who's willing to openly say, I'm going to be adversarial to the Democratic Party, I will leave the Democratic Party, I will try to bring down Democratic Party leadership, I will call out Democratic Party malfeasance once I'm in there and can witness it firsthand. That just seems like an obvious win to me. And I don't know. I'm open to folks who feel differently, you know, come all up in the queue and let's talk about it. Here's my question, though, with regard to that, because I'm a little political kind of newbie. Like I just started really, you know, really getting involved the past like two years, I would say. Isn't that what you know, a lot of these people, like, how has it played out historically in the past? Because again, like, I'm, you know, it's like, it's not the individuals, it just feels like the system that they get inevitably sucked into, that they can't quite escape. And that's where I'm starting to feel defeated, because I was like, you know, oh, yeah, we just need to keep electing progressives, keep electing progressives. Well, no, that's because that's why the, it's not just keep electing progressives, it's keep electing progressives who seem to understand how power operates and have a strategy, a plan for how they're going to resist those pressures that they are not naive about. People's concerns with Allie and Reverend Wendy were that they seemed to just, their answers, at least, indicated that they seemed to think that, like, vibes and, like, just wanting it and being a good person was enough to stick the landing and that we know is not enough. So even if someone, you know, you can, you can articulate a plan and still fail, but at very least I need you to say words that suggest to me that you understand truly what you're up against and that you have been thoughtful about how you can make a difference from the inside. No, you're not going to get in there and magically make Medicare for all happen, but what is your strategic plan what is, you know, would you go for a force the vote? Would you be w- willing to not vote for Nancy Pelosi? Would you be willing to make a big stink about some aid package? Would you be willing to do a birdie and cross the aisle and do a bill with Josh How- Howley if it's something that you're mutually invested in as an anti-interventionist? You know, I, w- I don't care what it is, but I need to hear you say words that suggest to me that you're thinking along those lines and not just I'm going to brand myself as a Medicare for all candidate, knowing that that's not going anywhere and just going like running on progressive vibes. Yeah. Well, I would suggest, I, I don't know what you have planned, but uh, the conversation that I had with Shahed and, and Katie's show, he seemed so, like, I just, it was really valuable to hear his understanding of, like, you know, how it works in there, basically, and kind of, like, what his strategic plans are, that I just think it's interesting, like, maybe, I don't know, th- this, like, convention idea that I have is, like, you know, people who perhaps are anti-electoralism and then hearing people like him being able to make the case for why we should, you know, keep continuing to rally behind people such as him because he was really knowledgeable about it. But, um, but yeah, thanks for clarifying and Courtney and I will be meeting up soon. And <laughs> anyone else who's <laughs> in New York and wants to meet up, I don't know. We're just, what we're kind of thinking right now is like, well, maybe we can't have some huge convention right now, right? Like magically out of thin air because where are we going to get the money? We're, we don't have teal bucks. So I don't know where we're going to get the money for that on the left, but like, you know, maybe we can have these like kind of smaller meetups here and there um, to maybe start building momentum for something. Cause I mean, I don't know about you, but I just feel like we're just completely, the energy is just everywhere, you know, and and no fault of our own. It's like, we don't have a singular vessel like Bernie, you know, to put into right now. So I can tell that's why people I think get into these squabbles online is cause it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's energy like can't go anywhere, you know, and so it's just kind of like all turning in on itself in all these various ways. So, yeah, I think that might be right. Well, thank you for doing what you're doing. Have a drink for me, uh, you and Courtney or, or whatever um, yeah. beverage. Or, or... It'll be a drink. It'll be an alcohol. Okay. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> whatever your preferences are, have one for me. Uh, have fun, ladies. Will do. Thank you. All right. Uh, Danny, you're up next. What's in your mind? 
Danny, can you unmute yourself for me? I did it. Okay. Thank you. Um, there's so much to respond to. Um, Michaela is absolutely perfect. Um, she, oh, the tide has turned. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. No, she's absolutely. <laughs> listen, I have two children and we're wasting a lot of time. A lot of time. I have a 12 year old and I have a four year old who's about to enter the school district next year. And next year, the school district hasn't, isn't going to change its curriculum magically. You know what I mean? So my kids are aging. Everyone's children are aging right now as we just procrastinate and critique these things that would that, that 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 don't do anything for us so this woman has a very authentic history and i appreciate that and that alone just makes me want to vote for her though mm-hmm. i couldn't we need one of her in every state we need representation for people like me people like you people like everyone so there should be a michaela in every fucking state um I'm, I think that's it. There were some other things I wanted to say. I'm in New York as well, and I would be willing to help organize for the last caller, but I'd have to do it remotely. I look, um, I love that. I love that. I hope you, I hope you three get it together. I, I, I love the idea of you guys connecting in the DMs. And telling some stories someday. Like Katie Halper loves to tell the story about how the Chapel guys met on one of her shows and she feels like she doesn't get enough credit for it. Same same for this. <laughs> like cool. one day someone's talking about how the the annual left political summit of you know Queens started right here on a humble little debrief show. So thank you for calling in, uh, Danny. No, I'm in Long Island though. No. The- okay, of Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, right, I was just yes. picking a beer, a, bur- a borough. Oh, great. I'm All right next door, actually. Thank you. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Uh, Jesse, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind this evening. Jesse, can you unmute yourself? Going once, going twice. Okay, Bernard, got to call on, on Bernie. How are you doing tonight, Bernie? Can you unmute yourself? I'm actually doing all right. Um, so I would consider myself somewhat new to these political spaces too, and I'm I'm trying to think a way through these problems that we're seeing. For example, with the squad, like, and I understand there might be some things that they might be considering, such as okay, isn't like maybe they need to be five years to get some sort of pension or something like that because. My my question is why why aren't they, for example, say grooming another progressive in the case where they might get a strong primary from the establishment Democrats? For example, like why not find like can't more than two people be in the Democratic primary, even if it's for the House or the Senate? Why not just groom another progressive that might not have been tarnished to run? Um in like a three-way race or something like that, just in case if they lose, maybe that person might have a chance. Like, is there any way to basically circumvent some of the issues that we're seeing where they seem to have like very little places to run if they're threatened by the establishment Dems or whatever? Like, what are some strategies that they maybe could do that do indeed look beyond themselves like what Eric, what I think Eric was suggesting? 
Well, I think the issue is that, so centrist run a centrist candidate, right? If yeah. there's not already a centrist incumbent, they run a centrist candidate like they did with Lena Turner at, yeah. in Ohio's 11th. And so if there are multiple progressives running, I think your your thought is like, oh, if one progressive goes down, it'll be good to have a second progressive. But what that ends up doing is splitting the progressive vote. And that is sometimes a strategy that conservatives deploy intentionally. So there was a race back in 2018 for the governor of um, Michigan where the progressive leader, the the, the like leading progressive candidate, um, Dr. Um, – What's his face? Oof. Were they an incumbent? He, he's he been on the show. I'm just doing brain fart. No, no, he wasn't an incumbent. That's, um, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Like, if it's an incumbent, like, can they plan to lose, basically? Like, as in, like, maybe you, they'll just lose. <laughs> like, and, and the other person, maybe it'll go to a runoff or something with the, the, the new centrist and the new progressive. Like, I don't know. I, I guess... I, I'm conf- I'm confused. It's either going to be a conservative incumbent, in which case they'll be backed, and having multiple progressives will split the progressive vote and will not help, or yeah. it's a progressive, progressive incumbent, incumbent, in which case I would presume you would want to keep them in office unless they've disappointed you to such an extent that you think it's worth challenging them and potentially losing the whole shebang to a conservative. But, you know, maybe. I don't know. It could be. So I, I'm a little confused about what you're suggesting. Yeah. I think that what you just suggested might be something um, that I would consider. For example, if someone like AOC is really disappointing you, like, you know, should we become more open to maybe primarying her with another progressive instead of just. Yeah. People bring it up. Hoping that she can hold on. People bring it up, but I will say that conservatives spent more money on a race than any other race in the country trying to unseat her and they were not successful. So I don't think that progressives are going to be especially successful in doing the same thing, given that we're less resourced. I think she's very popular and she is, if not the best fundraiser, of the democratic party, one of the highest fundraisers in the democratic party. And I'm not sure that that's the best use of people's efforts despite the disappointments. But I, you know, I, I completely understand if that's what someone wants to try to, to focus on, but the example in, in um, Michigan, I was thinking of, thinking of was Abdul Al Sayed. The conservatives actually ran um, a, a South Asian man whose name I don't remember, but who people kept confusing with Abdul Al Sayed's name. And oh. when asked on the street, you know, he ran as a progressive, but he was historically a conservative, and he was intentionally in there just to split the conserv- split the progressive vote. And when asked, when interviewed. Uh, a man on the street, they would say, well, what do you think about Abdul Al-Sayed? And they would say, oh, I don't like the guy who kills dogs. And they were talking about the other guy because he was in some big scandal where he owned these like animal testing facilities and he treated the animals very terribly. And so they very intentionally were trying to to split the progressive vote with a guy who wasn't even progressive and also intentionally running someone who they knew would be racially confused with Al-Sayed. They did the same thing, by the way, with AOC. The conservative they ran against AOC was a Latina with three names like a young Latina with three names and they were intentionally trying to confuse people. So that just shows you like running multiple progressives, even conservatives know her is progressives. <laughs> um, but yeah, like if look, if people want what to primary the case of a tight race, do you think that'll automatically basically toss it to the Republican or the centrist? For example, um, isn't 
Well, I, you know, I actually kind of like Cory Bush, but like, who's like, which of the squad members are predicted to have a tight race coming up? Like, what do you do in those situations? Do you really just leave them alone and stay out of the way? I, I mean, people will feel differently about it. I don't know. I, I, I'm not in charge. <laughs> I'm not in charge of what people are going to do. But I don't know who's going to have a tight and especially tight race. They all get challenged every time around. I know that Bakari Seller seems to have his sights set on um, Rashida Tlaib. So I don't know how it's going to go for her. I don't know if he's going to be successful. But I I think a lot of people are going to want to help Rashida Tlaib stay in office. I personally hope Rashida Tlaib stays in office. Even if she were being challenged by a progressive, you know, I'd have to see this progressive, but I, I personally am not so disenchanted with Rashida Tlaib that I would be looking forward to her being dethroned. But I understand that people feel different, might feel differently. Um, yeah. yeah. And one more thing. I do think one of your callers was kind of petty with Irami. I'm kind of like, Irami actually supports a lot of, I don't like does reparations just strike a, a bad core with a lot of people because he he seems a bad like I watch his show pretty often now there are some viewpoints that a lot of people on the left aren't gonna like like his uh stances towards immigration and how that might specifically affect black people like a lot of people are gonna record from that but he does support a lot of universal programs as well so why is it people singling out the fact that he also capes for reparations. I don't. That's a really good question. And I'm going to be honest. I want everyone listening to hear this. The only answer to that. A lot of us can come to. Is you don't care about black people. And you don't want to hear that. But I want you all to really interrogate. Why of all the issues in the world. Everyone has so much energy. To talk about why they don't support reparations. When you could just simply leave it alone. Okay, like, just leave it alone if it's not your issue. That's my viewpoint towards it, too, and, like, you know, and and they were saying a bunch of stuff about universal programs, and it's like, it looks like those are very challenging to get at the federal level, especially since you have a a bunch of lobbyists opposing things like Medicare for All. Like, I remember the debates when, like, when we know Bernie and, I guess, Elizabeth Warren, who I don't trust, were up there, you could see them run ads specifically against, you know, single payer. Like I think it would be pharmaceutical companies or various mm-hmm. healthcare institutions running ads like in between uh, you know, scenes of the debate. So I'm kinda like there's a lot of op despite its popular relative popularity in the polls, you know, or, or surveys, there's a lot of like opposition, like active and well resourced opposition towards those programs so i'm kind of like you know like i don't see why people are coming for reparations and in addition like he said that oh universal programs have benefited us the most i was like i, I guess like social security certainly helps us but if we're to be honest like if we look at the new deal like a lot of those policies what a lot of black people are going to remember is how a lot of us were carved out of a lot of those policies or yeah. how and how yeah Look, you can't look at the state of race in America and, and I think be too sanguine about universe, the universal policies we've had. Now, the whole point of what we're saying with universal policies going forward is that they have to be genuinely universal. And those new, some of those yeah. new policies were not because certain people were carved out or certain industries were carved out that were disproportionately black or female or both. And, but however, know, how, 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 however, I will just say like, I just really need you to under, not you, but everyone to hear this. 
It is also true that gay marriage is nowhere near the list, I would argue, of priorities in terms of like material uplift for working people in America. Like that's obviously not the point, but the idea that at any time in the last 10 years, as people were fighting for gay marriage, that I would have fixed my lips to say, Oh, why are we fighting for gay marriage? Don't they know that this is a polarizing issue that's preventing us from getting Medicare for all Lord strike me to hell. If I ever were to say something as asinine as that, as hateful as that, as undermining to my brothers and sisters as that, like I might privately think, you know, are there other issues that are more important? Are there other issues that are more important to the gay community? Yeah, totes my ghosts. <laughs> but that is not, I can simply, if I really care, I can just put my energy behind those LGBTQIA issues that I think or my, my gay family members and friends think are most important and push for that without yucking somebody else's yum. Exactly. And if you want to talk about actually getting canceled, Go against that. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you want to talk about actually getting canceled, you're not going to go and fix your lips and oppose uh, LGBT rights and LGBT marriage or anything like that. But I don't know. For some reason, it's open season on, on things it is. like reparations. Correct. Like, I, and, and I'm sorry. Uh, people have to notice reparations get specific heat in this way. And every white person and non-ADOS black person and everybody else in this chat needs to really interrogate look deep inside as to why their little hair staying up on their arms when reparations comes up and all these other identity specific programs they're chill with didn't have a thought didn't have a word to say about them yeah i Just- wonder what people <laughs> think um so i think kamala had a meeting with the asians and and um asian american and pacific islander people and like during that meeting they were straight up like advocating for disaggregation so that they could get, you know, specificity in the terms of programs that they wanted targeted to specific Asian and Pacific mm-hmm. Islander communities. And I thought that made sense because actually there's a lot know, of diversity um, within the AAPI communities. Yeah. Exactly. Like I, I went to Hawaii. Um, I'm currently a biochemistry PhD. So I went to the Hawaii, um, the softness in Hawaii. And one of the speakers was from the U.S. Marshall Islands, and I was, and she told us what happened to the Marshall Islands, and I was like, shouldn't y'all be advocating for like reparations or something, mm-hmm. like as in specifically you people from the Marshall Islands? So everybody gets specificity when it comes to certain communities, but they don't get it with us. And when I think about like how it can benefit us, remember that um I think affirmative action, like before the 90s, before Clinton got a hold of it to try to allegedly, you know, save it and turn it into a diversity program, I think you could actually see it begin to sort of begin elevating um, some yes. black people. My mom always says that it worked for like, it worked for like 10 years yep. in the 70s. Yep. Yep. <laughs> there was like a hot skip and a jump before the 80s came and all of the Reaganomics, they, they ruined it all. Yeah. There was like a very narrow window where it was actually working, and then they put an end to that shit. Yep. Yeah. But, well, thank you. Sorry. Go ahead. You. What you want to finish oh, up? Thank you so no. much for entertaining me. Yeah. No. No. No worries. I was gonna let you finish your point, but I I did want to get through some other calls, so I think I'm gonna try to end at ten thirty tonight. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Bree. Okay. Thank you, Bernard. All righty. All righty. All righty. Uh, silver. Silver Rose, what's on your mind tonight? Can you unmute yourself, Silver? 
can you silver you muted yourself again oh sorry can you hear me i don't know it's a problem i can hear oh, you oh sorry what, what's on your mind tonight silver no i guess i thought i thought that i think maybe like i think it's valuable to elect um progressives to congress even if they don't have like leadership even if it's just the squad because you basically just need like one leader so you would so it's just good to have lots of different people like i'm sure like um AOC if there's someone that comes like if it turns out that like Michaela really does have leadership or whatever and has like plans and stuff I actually think that I'm sure that a lot of these people like um that they would that they would follow you know what I mean so I don't I feel like it's just valuable like it's not like the only thing that matters is leadership and I do feel like I do feel like the squad sometimes gets like overly like I don't know I don't like personally I don't even particularly like this a lot like I sometimes get a bit annoyed by like some stuff AOC does but on average like I'm happy she's in congress I don't know I feel like there's there's kind of an over like even if like there's leadership is important but it's also just important to have people that like vote the right way or that would you know what I mean so I do think that some of the moments where they didn't hold the line is because Nancy Pelosi had a credible threat of finding enough Republicans to replace them anyway so, for example, so there is an argument that says if you did have more progressives, then it would be harder to find enough conservatives to, you know, flip to pass whatever the bad thing is. And it would make it there. It would increase the incentive for progressives to go ahead and actually hold the line. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no point in them taking yeah. the political hit in their eyes for nothing if the thing is still going to pass. If there are enough progressives that it's impossible for Nancy Pelosi to whip conservative votes, then maybe we would get better outcomes. I think that's yeah, like thing, a legitimate argument. Yeah, like the thing that people were mad, which I do agree with um, AOC, where she was like, I uh, was going to vote. I forgot, is Aaron Dome was like the Israel, she was going to vote and then she cried or whatever, but it was mm-hmm. never going to pass anyway. So, I mean, I don't know. Well, no, I, I still think that you should take a, no, a principled I agree, I agree, vote. You know, because I think, you know, it matters optically and to draw distinction, draw contrast between what the party should be doing and what it isn't doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I just I'm just trying to give some credence to the idea that numbers aren't irrelevant in this. I also think that having a version of AOC who not just cries, but then goes in front of a camera and tells us exactly when why she cries could be beneficial. No, no, and it would be lovely if. It would be oh, lovely sorry. if some of these new people were able to do that as, as well. I also I also do think that we have to talk about who potentially would be willing to go up against and challenge people like Pramila Jayapal and maybe gain leadership of the Congressional Progressive Caucus as well. I think that that matters. Yeah. No, no, I do agree. And the other thing I was – oh, and then – oh, this was kind of vague fought on the whole reparations thing which i feel like it's not even i don't even feel like it's true that it would be unpopular like i feel like it's literally just because like i feel like um in 2020 when the progressives were running uh, when i mean there was a democratic primary there's lots of like candidates who were trying to brand their like um universal programs as reparations and mm-hmm. i thought that was kind of stupid because it literally mm-hmm. wasn't reparations and it i do think that universal programs are a bit more popular but the fact that they even were thinking it did i don't think it hurt them that much so the fact that even like centrists were trying to brand like i don't think it's true i think that um i think there's some framings of it like mm-hmm. there's i feel like 
a lot of racial things, what gets really polarizing is not even the actual policies, but is the way it's talked about. So mm-hmm. I don't actually think that it's true that reparations would be um, particularly, like if there's other stuff, obviously, but uh, like if there's, I don't think it's true that it would, um, like alienator would be that. I feel like it's just the way people talk. And like, for example, and also I feel like I'm always impressed by like, um, this is another tangent, but on like, mm-hmm. I watched your Charlie Kirk debate like recently, but I was like looking at the comments and like all the comments were like from, and it was like on, um, what's that? It was on uh, the Young Americas for Freedom or whatever, uh, like on the conservative YouTube. And it was all like, oh, I'm a Trump supporter, but like uh, she she comes out like better than Charlie Kirk and this and those all like really positive comments. So I feel like, I mean, I guess that's just the way, I don't know. I feel like there's a way you present stuff that seems to really appeal to people. Um, and it will not just you, but I feel like it's more, I guess this is incoherent, but what I'm saying is I think a lot of this is just how to talk about it. And I think there's, and I don't actually think, like, I think there's ways of having even policies that are like targeted, like reparations that would um completely, that would be popular and would not, um, that even, I feel like there's a way that even like more mundane stuff, like affirmative action or not even affirmative action, but even some sort of just like banal neolib stuff could be more polarizing than way more extreme stuff like reparations just yeah. depending on how you speak so yeah uh, you know what I, it, yeah I, I, yeah i think that's completely right i'm glad you're looking at those comments because i won't be doing it but i appreciate <laughs> the, the validation look my one of the biggest points and i brought this up before ben jealous talking about how he traveled with bernie and bernie was giving his stump speech and there are all these bits of the speech that talk about different things medicare for all you minimum wage blah 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 just going down the list and here he comes he's about to come to the black lives matter bit and ben jealous reflexively tenses up because this is the first time he's heard bernie give the stump speech in an all-white part of the center of the country and he's like after he's used to them being a cheer line after each of these points and he's worried that the blm line is going to come and no one's going to cheer and it's going to be real awkward and crickets in the room. And then BLM comes and everyone does cheer. And Ben Jealous is like, wow, I really misestimated uh, this situation. What I took from that story is that if you say everybody gets a thing, mm-hmm. it's not the same thing because everyone's needs aren't the same. But if you figure out how to say a thing that that everyone in the room can feel like, oh, I'm getting something out of this. Then nobody's focused on the other person getting something that maybe they're not getting. Yeah, I think that's true. And not enough times, we need to be talking about policies more as packages. I, you know, and the student debt people have been talking about this and the strike debt people, they do a good job with talking about all these other kinds of debt, medical debt. I think we should be talking about medical debt and student debt together. The only problem is that because you can't do medical debt by executive order and Biden never promised it, that it's a little bit of a rhetorical awkward place right now for that. But generally speaking, part of what was so useful about Bernie is he says, oh, you're a veteran. Here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, you have a health care. Well, here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, you have a housing issue. Here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, reparations. Here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, Asian hate. Let's here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, Native American land rights. Here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, LGBT issues. Here's what we're going to do about that. Here will the environment. Here's what we're going to do about that. Oh, you're a farmer. Here's what we're going to do about that. Once you get, once you hear a, a list like that, no one's concerned that I, oh, I'm not a farmer. <laughs> you know, like I, all I heard was, okay, I get health care, I get reparations, and I get a house. Okay, if I don't, who cares if I'm not a veteran and a farmer? Half that list was for me anyway. Yeah. The only thing, I'll, then I'll, I'll let other people, the only thing that I would be interested to know, to like have a, um, that you maybe for like an idea for guests would be if someone has like fleshed out how 
like how much money reparations would be or how it would work because mm-hmm. this is this is something that I mean this is like how like for for two seconds I don't know like then I realized as you were saying it's not even a wealth issue but there was like I don't know Matt Brunig had something on like how it wouldn't even but which I agree with how there's like some like if you calculate it there's it's like that the that the wealth is so concentrated that it, it wouldn't really alleviate that much but as you were saying it's just a justice issue it's not even to close any gap but like that it's so concentrated in the upper but i do think it would be but what it did but i do think it would be interesting to know like the fleshed out or i think i guess maybe there are plans that yeah I there there are pl- there are plans and we did an episode with Derek hamilton and um ice cube i want to say in the fall of 2020 it was a very early episode where we got into some of that. Derek uh, Hamilton is one of the leading scholars on reparations. He was a surrogate for the Bernie campaign, and he's also done some work for Cory Booker with the baby bonds and some other Mm -hmm. kinds of programs. Now, he and I disagree a little bit, and I don't know if it's even my place to disagree, considering he's like an economist and a scholar on this stuff, and I'm just a lady with some ideas. But I talked to Matt Brunig about this a little during the campaign, because my feeling has always been that part of the rhetorical battle is to frame this as a tort claim, as a wrong, like a, a classic legal wrong and a debt owed the same way that if you someone punched you in a bar or hit you with a car or, you know, your house fell down, like you would have a claim for the negligence and the harm that you uh, incurred. So there are so many institutions that directly profited from slavery that are the same institutions that were existing back then that it seems to me that a, a legal change to say open up the statute of limitations for one and to basically create a do a truth and reconciliation commission where you basically get a pool of money. We all know we can print the money, but just this is more for political optics to get a pool of money extracted from some of these horrible corporations that we want to extract money from anyway because they're not paying their taxes and they're hurting people and they're not paying fair wages and all of that um, to. Get it, like focus the conversation because so many of the the so much of the pushback is well I wasn't alive and it wasn't my ancestors and why should I have to pay it's the same as the student debt conversation they all pretend like the person who's funding these programs is some innocent white person in the middle of the world who immigrated here in in 1910 you know no no white people are not paying for student debt poor people are not paying for student debt random white people are not paying for reparations. Let's let's give somebody a hook for who's responsible to derail that kind of an argument. And I would like to see that. I would like to see that kind of a thing done. And, yeah, and no, by, by the way, the federal government is one of the big payees. Like the, the federal government is going to have to pay because the federal government promulgated laws that explicitly discriminated against black people up through the 1960s. So, no. Yeah. And I, yeah, no, I'll let other people. But I, I think, yeah, I think that would work. And I feel like it also just makes sense from a fairness perspective, like way more, like just, I feel like just intuitively tons of people would understand like yeah. that, that there's reparations for slavery. Like it just makes sense as, as you were saying, as happened for the Holocaust and for mm-hmm. Japanese internment. And in a way it's more concrete and makes more sense than like vague diversity programs that are like for like people that weren't even like immigrants. Not that those are bad necessarily, I'm against them, but it actually, I feel like just in on a fairness level, just intuitive, it makes more sense in a way. I don't know. Yeah. And by the way, some people say, well, what about reparations for this group and that group? I'm like, hells yeah, let's do it. <laughs> a lot of people have been wronged and let's, I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely for that. It's a yes and approach, not yucking other people's young, but um, thank you so much for calling in silver. All right. 
I have never, I don't think I know Joe. So let's hear from Joe. What's on your mind tonight, Joe? Can you mute yourself, Joe? Okay, then let's hear from Luther Vandross. How you doing, D? Can you unmute yourself, D? Hello? Hey, Luther. What's in your mind? Hi. Oh, my gosh. I love your show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I actually, you know, the funny thing, I had heard Luther Vandross before, but, like, when you mentioned it on the show, I really got into him again. I was just like, oh, my God, how have I not <laughs> been listening to him? I'm like, oh, my God, so. I love this for us. <laughs> <laughs> I love this for this. If this is my mark on the world, I'll die a happy woman. <laughs> <laughs> I had his, um, him and, and uh, Mariah Carey's duet, like, on repeat for, like, a whole day. I was just like, how have I not heard this before? <laughs> um, OMG, that makes me so happy. <laughs> uh, which, actually, I just, side note, I did want to say, I really enjoy, like, your more, um, like, pop culture shows sometimes. Like, the the Beatles episode that you did was, like, amazing i love that one <laughs> people got so mad <laughs> i love yeah it. <laughs> I, I enjoy them too in fact i was just at my reunion this weekend with my best friend joe with whom i had my first podcast Spody, back in the day and uh-huh. i'm like desperately trying to convince him to come and like do more informal episodes with me where we can t- take on a bunch of topics like i'm desperate to just do a 15 minute take on the dave weigel situation obviously no one here tonight wants to talk about it but that's the kind of <laughs> thing that i obviously can't devote an episode to but you know yeah i could chat it up with with, with a, like a co-host situation so i'm fingers crossed that i can get convince him to come and, and do it with me because he's between jobs for the next month and has a little bit of downtime but hopefully more um more of those in the future Oh yeah, please do, please do. I know whenever they come, I will, I will happy to to hear them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I did want to mention. Uh, okay, so I, I do. I appreciate all the all the 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 candidates. Um, the only thing, like I did like her the most um, out of the other ones that you've had on, but because mm-hmm. uh, uh, but I just wish that some of these candidates would would be more like like being hostile i guess towards like the establishment or like you know the corporate dams if like if they were to just put that at like the forefront of of what they're talking about like i feel like Mm -hmm. that would for me like convince me a lot like because i mean i i do think we should go third party and 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 all that stuff but i mean i'm kind of agnostic i like whatever works is you know let's do that right but like if we mm-hmm. but it's just like if 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 like they do if they were to do more to convince people like everyone on this call probably to to make people think like okay like they're actually not gonna you know be i don't know if sellouts like too strong of a word but like you know just not like like the squad like you know every, everything that they haven't really necessarily lived up to to what they campaigned on like if it, it, I, I don't know for me it would just be more convincing if if they like campaigned on like because you asked it right you said like oh would you you know would you would you vote for Nancy Pelosi and she said no which which is a good answer but it'd be nice if like that was what she was pitching like in the first place it'd be like I'm gonna go into Congress mm-hmm. like and do that like for me that would just make me think like okay like 
they're serious instead of just like answering a question and then like you you know what I mean like I, I don't know like no I know what you mean I I know what you mean I mean this is maybe this is an interesting question for Afini because I too like that. I like the idea of being so openly hostile and like fearless. And I have frankly heard Michaela again at that event. I keep referencing be very spicy in a way that the crowd was eating up. Like, I don't know how you felt, Afini, but I thought that event that it was clear that the crowd liked her more than anyone else on the stage, that there was more just bubbling of enthusiasm and claps and stuff when she was talking, even though I confess the, I was I was there with a more establishment oriented person who seemed concerned that she was hurting herself with those remarks, even as I was eating it up and the crowd was eating it up. I see. I see. Um, absolutely. I think that a lot of people um, <clears throat> don't under like people don't understand like how really <laughs> out there Michaela is, and you know. I don't want to throw my other campaign manager on the bus, but my other campaign manager, he is like very much like, oh, tone it down and stuff like that. And she's done that for a very long time. Maybe it's my fault that she doesn't do that any longer. I'm pretty sure I'm a big part of the reason why I'm, I just tell her all the time, like, you know, win or lose. The last thing that we want is for her to walk away from this campaign and say that she held anything back. So, you know, She's going to be herself and people do like it because people are frustrated, like the emotion and the, you know, conviction behind what she's saying. A lot of people can feel that and resonate with that. A lot of people are very frustrated with the fact that there has been no real fundamental change to our livelihoods as working class and middle class and even upper middle class people in our district. People are frustrated with the fact that even like in a district like PG County, a county like PG County, where there could be so much money. Like, people don't even have grocery stores within 10 to 15 minutes of their houses. Like, there's still food mirages in some of the most affluent parts of this predominantly black county. And so people are frustrated by that. And I think that's the reason why some people gravitate towards Michaela, especially on the local, uh, like, you know, when we talk to voters, we talk to hundreds of people a day because we do a lot of public canvassing. Um, A lot of people are really excited to hear from her. They're really excited to meet her. And it's because she is so real and she doesn't hold anything back. And that's a big part of the reason why I support her. And something that really frustrates me about being an organizer and being in this space for the past two years, my two-year anniversary just passed last week, um, is that I feel like people have really lost sight of harm reduction and the importance of fighting on all cylinders trying to win in any way that we can because marginalized groups feel it the most when we just let let especially like legislatively when we just let shit go <laughs> like we can see who gets victimized the most we can see what happens and wh- what groups are targeted um when we don't take every avenue of our power seriously if people want to organize by all fucking means go organize but i'm personally Personally, I'm going to speak for myself. I no longer want to see people that only argue and complain on the internet unless you have a disability or you're just not able to organize outside. If you're not organizing outside and you're also not voting, you're also not doing anything to change anything other than complaining, I'm not really with that, period. Because I'm doing a lot of work. I'm busting my ass. I'm risking my life. 
and there are a lot of other organizers, black, black, black queer organizers that are doing the same. And yeah, we, we need more people that are actually going to sit up here and go out there and do something. Michaela is doing something. And regardless of whether or not she wins, she's going to be an organizer, whether or not she goes to Congress. Cause she's still going to organize. She's still going to, she's still going to be fighting for the things that she cares about, whether she gets that seat or not. And I think that's the difference between her and a lot of uh, these other people that run is the fact that they're not organized their heart and they don't have the greater vision of liberation, transformation, and just, you know, anti-capitalism to put it lightly since, since I'm speaking for the campaign, <laughs> like, they don't have that in mind. They don't have that in mind. They're dream- they're dreaming too fucking small. And Michaela knows that it takes real people. It takes strikes. It takes militant labor. These are all the things that matter. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. I just wanted to say that I I really have heard Michaela be spicier in other contexts. I do think that sometimes there's a perception that you know, especially when you go on media, that that's not what people want. And I think it's sometimes funny because I know what the appetite is on this particular podcast. And sometimes I want to be like, no, like you can really go there. Everyone here will be excited about it. But also there is this risk in an online context that things can be taken out of context. And I also appreciate candidates not necessarily wanting to give their opponents sound bites. I know that's not very satisfying to hear as a leftist. And you want to believe that the truth will rise to the top. And that all of that will be validated always, like in the movie Bullworth. But I can say what I want to say as a consumer and as a voter, as a, someone who was advising a campaign, I don't know that I would be quite as, like, ballsy, to truth be told. I don't know that even if I privately want to see something from a candidate, I don't know if I were in an advisory role that I would be telling someone to go out there and say, you know, fuck the police, you know, Nancy Pelosi can eat shit. Da, 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 da. Like, I, I don't know that I would... <laughs> You know what I mean? And I, I think that's yeah. a delicate balance. And it can, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what the answer is to that. It's a delicate balance. Okay. Yeah. Not everyone is Bernie who has like 40 years of authenticity on the record. So he can get away without saying certain more, you know, certain more outlandish things. People just trust him because he's been there doing things. Not everyone. And that's yeah. I think what's going on with Shama a little bit. And I think that, you know, it is also true of Michaela, but we just don't know her like that. You know, people are just getting to know her nationally. Like, so burn it down. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, th- th- that well, totally makes th- sense. Yeah. No, I mean that totally makes sense. I guess it's just, I guess, I, mean, I, I, I'm totally with there. Like, I really appreciate everything Michaela is doing, and, and I, I do. It, it does. It really does come across that that's where she's coming from. And, and but I guess it's just because we've seen other candidates like in that mold. I guess like you know like Cory Bush and and, and AOC that you know, have done some good things, but haven't necessarily lived up to expectations. And so I guess, I, I guess, I mean, that was just my only thought is just that, I mean, maybe if the rhetoric was, was a little bit stronger, but then again, I don't know. Cause then AOC's, I, I don't know, her rhetoric in that first campaign was like perfect for me. I was just like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, like, who is this person? Like I, I mm-hmm. she really, I feel like she could not have said anything better. Like she was right on like everything. <laughs> And so, I don't know, I guess I'm just, it's just frustrating because then, cause then you just don't know what's going to happen yeah. once they get in, you know. Yeah, so I it's... said this last time, like, these, these progressives have really messed it up for all of the up-and-comers. <laughs> they really messed it up for all the Michaelas of the world, and that it just really sucks 
because and everyone's just a lot more circumspect than they were in 2018. And some, some people deserve it and some people don't. And we're all just trying to figure out who, who's who, but I appreciate yeah. you calling in D and yeah. keep, keep loving that Luther. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I love your show. <laughs> all right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. No problem. Okay. Bye-bye. So I'm going to wrap because I got to get myself situated a little bit. I've been trying to get to bed a little bit earlier and we've been going over two and a half hours. I do want to say to no work, Chris, um, that I am trying to hop around because there's some of you that I speak to almost every week. So if I try to skip you a week, it's not personal, but you know, I called on Eric gray and talked to him for a very long time, even though he calls in often, I see a lot of people that I are some of my faves in the chat. Sylvester knows how much I enjoy talking to him, but I'm trying not to let my personal joy of speaking to Sylvester make me preference him over other callers. I, you know, I see Aaliyah in the chat. I really enjoyed talking to her. I really enjoyed talking uh, this last time around. Um, and what's her face? I forget who we closed with last week was in the chat a second ago with the Amber Heard conversation that I really enjoyed. And I was tempted to bring her up and continue that, but I'm just, I'm really trying to get to some of these new faces. Like I've never seen Joe. I don't think I've seen Vin. I've never seen Rue. Uh, Gabriella seems new. Amir, maybe I've seen Lance. You're here a lot, but like, I just, Michelle, I've called him before, but not a ton. You know, I, I am trying to get through. So, you know, Chris, I've spoken to you probably almost as much as anybody I've ever spoken to on this show. So, yeah, I am going to, I try to take the first few callers because I do want to validate folks getting in the queue early and starting the conversation. I appreciate that. You know, we wouldn't be able to do the show without that eagerness. But at the same time, it's, I think it's more interesting for listeners to get a diversity of perspectives. And I think it's also, you know, callers want to feel like they don't have to call in at eight o'clock on the nose and be hypervigilant to participate in the conversation, especially since stuff comes up that, you know, people want to respond to that is not necessarily what the people at the very front of the queue want to talk about a priori. So we didn't get to Weigel this week. I would have liked to have maybe touched on that a little bit, but we will be back on Thursday. You know how it is. I think you'll really enjoy Thursday's episode. It is going to be about um, getting to the bottom of what this inflation conversation really is because I'm so tired of sitting on these shows and have people just lie about inflation. I am committed to becoming the biggest expert on inflation in the world. And it looks like we're going to get a Congress member on later this week for next Monday's episode. So stay tuned for that. A sitting Congress member, not a prospective Congress member. I want to thank you, Afini, for spending all of this time with us here in the chat tonight asking questions. Uh, answering questions rather i know you're a busy person Mm -hmm. (laughs) of course i'm trying to get like you girl um (laughs) but yeah thank you so much for having me um you know i'm always gonna i'm gonna defend michaela until she gives me a reason not to and then i'm going to be holding her accountable period Um, and i know that and i believe that and people who know you know that too and i someone said that the fact that you work for her is her biggest endorsement and i get that (laughs) <laughs> I get that for all all concerns. So thank you for all the hard work you're doing. Thank you to everyone for tuning in this evening and spending these two and a half hours with us. I will see you later in the week. And as always, keep the faith. She will appear out of somewhere.
Comes the do 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 part. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite part. 